Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 65, and this week's guest is Akala. Um, had so many of you request this. Uh, b- b- before I get going and get started, um, thank, thank you all very, very much for... I mean, this has been a crazy October, really. Um, kicking off the month with the reaction to the S- Super Bob special with... B- Brett and John Brett Goldstein and John Drever was amazing. And then UK hip hop royalty in Roots Maneuver. Again, your reaction, your hype, your support was amazing. And then last week's episode that man, as you will have heard, it took my breath away a few times. Um Tom Robinson um became a two parter because it was such a yeah, just an, an insane conversation and discussion. So thank you for tuning in all month. I mean, in reality, you've got one, two, three, four, five podcasts this month for free because of the Tom Robertson one was a, a double and there's extra, extra, extra months. No, hang on, one, two, yeah, yeah, five. Um, there's extra weeks. Um, so yeah, you should probably go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and support... The record label, you know, we got B Dolan stuff. We got tons of Scroobius Pip stuff. We've got um, Woolly Hats. As someone t- tweeted me saying on the podcast a while back, I was really trying to push the uh, the barbecue aprons, and that I should now, now the summer's over, I should just switch them to being a Great British Bake Off aprons. So yeah, we've got Scroobius Pip Great British British Bake Off aprons with the. You see a mouse trap, I see free cheese and a fucking challenge um artwork. Check that out, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Um on to this week's episode. Akala. Man, you guys have been hassling me f- for this one. It's <laughs> it's a funny one because we've been trying to put it together for a while, but I think every time I ask for suggestions on guests, Akala comes up at least once. Um and we met up a few weeks before back now we record these in weird orders and times because of this not being my full-time job despite you getting hours of freedom from me every week you lucky bunnies um yeah so we arranged it ages ago and then we had to go back and forth a few times and I went and met with Akala and we sat down and talked for ages this 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 could to be honest have been a two-parter but I for stats it's great to make every episode a two-parter right? Because the same people listening, you get twice as many stats, if you know what I mean. So uh, if 30,000 of you, if the same 30,000 download part one and part two, that's 60,000 downloads. So it makes us look dope. But I'm all for that if it's right. But in this one, they didn't seem like a natural break. And I'm not a fan of just cutting them up or breaking up the art form sounds sounds too much but I, I believe in long form interviews I think they're a positive thing so if there's a natural break or a pause then I'll say that and we'll end and then we'll start the next part but in this one there really wasn't it just felt that there was too much that we wanted to discuss and it all as you'll see it all seems to interweave constantly throughout so I decided to just make it a, a one episode fuck the stats and um and just have it as one long discussion. A man can Akala talk. He's amazingly intelligent, articulate, um, and thoughtful and interesting guy. So yeah. Um, I'll talk more at the end. Um, I've got some stuff to tell you. So come back at the end and I'll see you then. But until then, this is episode sixty-five 
of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Akala. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction And that's it. I've I've not got any big start or intro, so I'm joined by Akala. How you doing, man? I'm not too bad at all. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. And this has been one that the, the both of us have had requests for f- have, yeah. for, for a, a while. while. So it's yeah. good to to put this on. Um, and thanks for taking the t- a, a, a time. Um, as people have been messing me about it, each time I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get around to it. Oh, you know, you always have yeah, a long list, a lot of, of course, requests. Yeah. And then I just keep seeing you doing more and more interviews yeah. and just killing it and more and more bits on shows. So I was mm. like, it feels we need to make this happen now. So it does indeed. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleased to get here. Um, you've just got back from Zimbabwe. I have indeed. I How literally came back yesterday morning. I had a show in, well, a spoken word event in Birmingham last night. Nice. And then I had a workshop I was doing in East London today with a kind of... Um, young, actually, a group of female artists, all women, actors, poets, writers, singers. Um, so that was really interesting. But yeah, I got nice. back from Zimbabwe at 5am yesterday morning. Damn. And, w- and what were you doing in, in Zimbabwe? Were you working? Were you Yeah, I was working. Scoping? So I, it was like, actually it was, it was like a scoping visit yeah. for a long, potential long-term collaboration with my company, the Hip Hop Shakespeare Company, um, and local organisations out there via the British Council. It's one of the um, most distinctive and exciting things about what you're doing specifically is i mean we'll get onto all of it but you're doing a lot of stuff in the arts that you're crossing over hip-hop you're cross, mm. you're crossing over spoken word theater all sorts of performance but what's really exciting is how much of it is translatable outside of the uk mm. so going and looking in africa going yeah. and looking in in mm. in the middle east or, or any you know there's there's yeah, so many options yeah. where it seems to, to translate nicely so yeah, so how is that? Like it's, trying it's, to think globally on each project rather than thinking, can we get booked in Greenwich? Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, can like we have to think the world on this? It's really interesting. Even being in somewhere like Zimbabwe, you realise how much the internet has just changed the game. Yeah. I mean, walking down the street in Harare, it was, wasn't quite like being in London. Yeah. But, you know, every day at least four or five people stopped me. Yeah. And knew crazy. who I was and wanted photos and knew fire in the booth That's and was nuts, like, I watched your London Real interview or whatever it was, right? So yeah, you have yeah, this yeah. uh the internet has just completely changed the game and it means as an artist, as a thinker, as a theatre practitioner, as any kind of person that does anything audio or visual, you have direct access to the mm-hmm. people without the interference yeah. really of of corporate bullshit, without the interference of a radio playlist person telling you they don't know where your song fits in or it's not three minutes 45 or it's about something other than girls and bikinis and walking to the shops, you know. So you have this really uh, a brave new world out there to coin a phrase. And and, and actually, the travels I've done this year really showed me that more than any previous year. I was in New York. That was like being in London. I went to Afropunk Festival and I was just shocked. Everybody at the festival knew me it was yeah, it was every two minutes it was I it's crazy isn't it? Said it, it was because it's the kind yeah. of thing that again f- five ten years ago I, I, I had Roots Maneuver on a few weeks mm. back and he was saying how touring America was so hard because of him being the first real yeah, a, sure. a UK rap act to be out there doing mm. that and now there's a lot there'd still be you talk to a booking agent and I guarantee you'd still and this isn't any diss but you'd have some booking agent going well I don't know if your profile's good enough isn't that whereas if you were just to do it yourself with people who are hitting you up and all this it's like right no 
we could make this happen. Yeah. And I think that's a huge change in the industry well, at the moment. I'm touring in Australia in December, same thing. And I it's mean, crazy, I've never right? been on a major label. I haven't had a Radio 1 playlist since 2005. Yeah. So it's t- literally 10 years since I, I had a daytime playlisted song. Yeah. In those 10 years, I've probably performed in at least 40 countries. That's crazy, And so it's, it? it's, that's partly that I think being an artist that talks about things that resonate globally yeah. means you pull in a particular kind of audience that stays with you but also literally just the internet I say this to young artists all the time when I came in the game and I'm not old you know we're talking 10 years ago there was no Facebook there was no Twitter there was no YouTube if you wanted to be seen you had to compete with big American record labels to get on MTV yeah which I did, you know, I lost a lot of money in the beginning of my career shooting big budget music videos yeah, yeah, to yeah. try and get on to MTV, who was at the time wasn't playing any UK rappers. Um, and then obviously Channel U came along. I was going to say, that was it. You had the choice of keeping it real local. And yeah. I'm, I'm meaning dividing yeah. up London. Absolutely. Like, like, yeah. Not just saying yeah, South, yeah, like really keeping it r- real local to make a name or going that route of going, right, we're going to try and be a major label style act and that. That's that's tough, man. It was no, tough it was, then, it was, it's tough now. It was very tough. I mean, my aim was always to be independent, but was to compete at that level. And then yeah. as, as things evolved more and I found more who I was as an artist and I found more what I wanted to do and I, I thought more about creating something that was a bit more holistic, that had a f- one foot in theatre, that as we're moving forward has you know a foot in, t- in the TV world. We're working on a lot of projects in that space, kind of arts and culture uh, space projects that really was a, you know has one foot in the literature world I wrote a graphic yeah. novel I, I wrote a book of poems I'm working on some longer term stuff writing um, some play stuff so I just kind of feel really blessed actually and really lucky and part of it is just the time that I was born at if I was yeah. born 20 years earlier and I had the same range of ideas and desires and, and dare I say it talents I wouldn't have had the opportunities I had. Yeah. So in many ways, we're just lucky to be born at a time when actually we can circumvent the traditional industry, even what you're doing with this podcast. Well, that's you can it. set up a couple of microphones and be like, bam. And that's there it. And go. it can go straight directly out to people. You don't have to be having a boss or going through a middleman or having things signed off or cleared. And there's no exactly. overseeing agenda. And Absolutely. again, I, I ramble about it online all the time about my excitement about the, the, the uprising of podcasts at the moment. Mm. But I genuinely think it's... In that last election, everyone went on and on about how the media are portraying certain parties or the media are, are not covering um, the, the the anti-austerity marches and things like that. It's like, that's your choice of media. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can complain true. all you yeah. like about the media, yeah. but if there yeah, yeah, is yeah, yeah. all this that's stuff true. is being covered, or if it's not... You can cover this shit now, yeah, even if it's on absolutely. Twitter or on a blog or anything else. Yeah, like, this can be covered and that can be, be got out there. So I think it's great because we're seeing people now being more proactive rather than just complaining about how the media is going. Right, I I, I reject that media. I reject yeah. that. I don't care about the tabloids. I yeah. I care about like the Joe Rogan podcast in America gets like absolutely. two three million listeners every episode. Exactly, they're generally three hours long, and he does a couple a week. That's exactly. a huge reach and huge Humongous. power. And yeah, again, it's, it's, it's that thing. It'll start to take away from that. And even even things, as you said, like a, a fire in the booth. Yeah, they're, they're BBC attached. But again, they're going out, they're just on yeah. the internet but, but as if, this, if as this was... independent thing that can build and build. But I mean, yeah, it's on the beep. But I mean, credit to Charlie, what he's been brave enough to do is to give the same platform yeah. to the complete range 
of voices within UK hip hop. Yeah. To have Loki and myself, quote unquote, the so-called conscious people. Yeah. To have and people have this misconception that those of us who are quote unquote conscious have something against those who are quote unquote not. My issue was always representation. Yeah. Hip hop is supposed to be a, as 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 Brother Ali put it, a complete plate. Yeah. You got starters. You got your main course. You got your dessert. Completely. I've got no issue. There should always be road rap. That's part of reality. Yeah. But we shouldn't have every rapper pretending they've sold crack and they shoot people because that's fake. Yeah. My thing is that should represent a small percentage because that's the reality in the ends, right? The vast majority of of young boys growing up are working in JD Sports or going yeah. to college, or and those realities are valid. So for me, for what Charlie's done and what's what accounts for his success is having the Giggses of this world, the Stormsies of this world and everything in between, whoever else he's had, he's literally had a complete kind of range of the scene. So like I said, the people like me and the Lokis, the Lady Leashes, whoever else, he's had um, such, a, such a range of representation, unlike, yeah. say, Westwood, who went before him, who only wanted to have American artists on his show yeah, and would completely. give UK hip-hop artists 10 minutes. And then got killed by KRS One, KRS One, anyway, so like, many people had beef. You're a joke. You're it, like saying exactly. to his face, and that was dope. And I'm, I'm really glad you've highlighted that because me and oh, there's a US rapper on my label called B Dolan, mm. who's very political, mm. very active. And we've discussed before how awkward it can be that the fan base that you you build often won't have that openness that you've just discussed there. Yeah, I'll, no, I'll yeah. post. A Lil, a Lil Wayne song because yeah. I like a Lil Wayne song and they'll be like how dare you it's fake it's Illuminati like, blah 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 it's like, it's like, no, dude man, I like music so, uh, so, yeah there's there's room for everything and like at my club night at my club night I'm not playing that much conscious hip hop because mm. I'm DJing at 1am and I'm drunk I mm. don't want to hear conscious like, no, no, like, no, I want unless hear, it's like it's bigger than hip hop Dead Prez is a club song yeah, Evic Mensa, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or Dead Prez or MOP yeah. or people like that so people yeah. who are saying shit but still I want to hear bangers it's like there's room for all of that in I'm not in into this. Music. I find this kind of judgmental, and I think people have got that mistake from me sometimes. I think questioning the promotion of violence and misogyny and all those things in hip hop is absolutely valid. Yeah, pretending hip hop is different from other art forms and should be held to an exceptionally higher standard of morality than, say, Hollywood films, which yeah. do the same thing: glorify violence and misogyny and the mafia and the FBI and the CIA, who dare I say it, have probably done far more damage in this world than yeah. young boys in the hood. Why should hip hop be held to a different standard? It's a it's a global conversation that affects all forms of art, and that's not me passing the buck. It's just me saying I grew up and I love DMX and Mob Deep, and I'm not going to apologise for that now because I'm yeah. 31, yeah. and maybe I don't play that music every day. At 15, that's what I loved, so it'd be yeah. very judgmental and backwards of me to act like I don't now understand why 15 year old boys, particularly in difficult environments, and girls. Loved the equivalence. Yeah. For yeah, me, completely. DMX was creative. He was an artist. He was brilliant. It might have been very negative, yeah. but if you look at his life, what do you expect? Exactly. And people forget as well that you've you've every right to be offended, but also that isn't a reason for something to not exist. Exactly. Like that, the, this yeah, exactly. particular thing Absolutely. offends me personally. Yeah. It's like, cool. And you're right. And you're, you're, you're right yeah, to discuss that, absolutely. to debate that. That doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. Yeah, exactly. it, you know, I mean, it's still a valid thing. If we form. take The Merchant of Venice. Yeah. The way Shakespeare describes Jewish people in that play, yeah. to, in today's language, is offensive. There's no yeah, way around yeah. it. That today would be considered a racist play. Yeah. But does that mean Shakespeare's not a genius? Because he wrote a play that was... I mean, there's no way around it. It's, it's, it's a racist play. Yeah. You know, the, the, all the stereotypes and tropes and even the language that's used to describe Shylock is offensive. Ira Aldridge, actually, a famous African-American actor in the 1880s, yeah. he performed that play, but he, in Russia, but he did, he edited the text, he refused to perform it as it was. Because right. he was like, I don't want to perform it that way, we need to edit it, because it's 
it's racist basically yeah, yeah, yeah. so which is just an interesting anecdote um but it's i mean it's completely true you look along um a mo- a, a most religious um, texts as well. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be areas in it. Promotion of slavery, has, yeah, murder, exactly. kill the neighbour, bury their babies, you know, all kind of madness. And again, that it's that black and white the Bible, then yeah. of either saying, oh, therefore they're all evil. Again, I'm, I'm, I've got the same stance on religion. I personally, I'm not a religious person. Mm. I think there's been a lot of harm done by different religions, sure. but no there's been it. a lot of good done by different yeah. religions as well. So it's like, as, it's how people as long as it's not being it forced upon me, yeah. it's like, you do you... And, you know, that's all but, good, I mean, right? there's been a lot of good done by science. There's also been a lot of harm, you know? And yeah. what I find fascinating, this new snobbery towards religion, I find really dangerous in a way that it's almost like being religious is considered the old form of being a savage. What do I mean by that? No one ever calls a physicist and says, can you explain why the nuclear bomb was made? Yeah. Or why yeah. machine guns were made? You know, yeah. you, silence is, science is inherently violent. You must defend science. Science is a tool. And it can be used to promote violence. It has done. It can be used to create weapons of mass destruction Completely. and murder. Religion, similarly. If, if for me, as again, as a, a person that isn't traditionally religious in an Abrahamic sense, I look at the spread of religion and the violence attached to it and the slavery justified by it. But then I also have to look at the converse and all the millions of people throughout the world who found it within their hearts, within their religious beliefs, to find inspirations of love yeah. and inspirations for... Revolution, even inspiration. Yeah. I mean, Marcus Garvey and the Ku Klux Klan had the same religion. It's you know, crazy, Harriet right? Tubman and the yeah. Ku Klux Klan had the same religion. Yeah. You know, how is that the case? That's how open ended most of these books are that Completely. someone can take slavery and racism from the same thing and someone else can take revolution from it. And, and of course, in the Islamic world, where we are, which is the main dialogue of religion at the moment, we have that same level of nuance. Yeah. We have Sufis and we have all these religious traditions that have been used to spread peace, that have been used to spread a message of acceptance. And then, of course, like in any part system anywhere in the world you have lunatics the difference is those lunatics are held up as representative of 1.6 billion people on this planet and i I would i would it shouldn't it shouldn't take common sense to explain that those lunatics are about as representative of all muslims as the kkk are of all christians they exist no doubt about it it's bizarre that it does have to be explained i remember all, all i remember all the demand for people for you know different um figureheads of of muslim society to apologize for certain things when there have been these recent atrocities it's like what's that's it got to such do with a dumb thing someone from algeria that someone yeah. from saudi arabia killed someone yeah. i mean it's it's, it's, it's completely it's, it's tying together these individual things these small likenesses it's, it's like saying oh that guy was also six foot three so i want all six foot three people yeah. to apologize for, for his what actions, that person, you know, it's not, there's, it's, it's not what, causation. What's, what's you know? dangerous about it is we live in a world where sadly political illiteracy is so high that let, let, let's take 9-11 and its aftermath and let's go with the official story for a minute. We, yeah. won't, we won't get into anything else. 19 guys, if you, again, if you, if you roll with the official story from Saudi Arabia commit yeah. an act, an atrocity. Saudi Arabia, of course, is an American and British ally. Yeah. No one doubts that. And Iraq who doesn't get along with Saudi Arabia, who has no connection to Al-Qaeda whatsoever, and everyone accepts that, can be made to pay for it. Because in the world's imagination, well, you're all Muslim and you're all a bit brown. So 
somehow, even though it's our ally where the, where the terrorists in this case came from, even in the official explanation, some other country can be made to pay. And that's the danger of tying together such large swathes of people based on race or religion or, or belief system. I mean, it's like something happened in Russia and people saying, you know, Sweden can pay for that. You know? yeah. You're all white, I mean, so no it's, big deal. It's, it's a lack of education, right? It's, yeah, it's sure. a lack of understanding outside of... And England and America are probably... The worst for this. And I heard heard someone the other day describe England as as, as the America of Europe, which I thought was great because because we, yeah. we are we are we're, yeah, we're yeah, so in sure. our own world in in many ways. So even education on geography that's just the yeah. simplicity of, of what you were saying there. Because to be honest, at the time I didn't really know who was aligned with who who was. Yeah, for sure. So so it wasn't until I and looked we into it, which I chose yeah. to look yeah, into absolutely. it. But it wasn't until I looked into it that I was like, right. So Hold why on. are they going after? Iraq, why yeah, are they, he got to do with that? Yeah, exactly. You know, where's the, the, the tie in here? But it's a fundamental problem in our educational systems then, right? Well, on, it's, on, it's, on learning more globally rather than here's what happened in England 500 years ago, 600 years, you know, everything else. Which is, instead of looking at here's what's happened in different parts of the world mm. in the last 100 years. My thing is know? also, even what we learn about England, England yeah. has, like any part of the human uh, world, progressive, revolutionary, for want of a better word, socialist-leaning traditions that were yeah. about sharing, uh, anti-slavery, that were anti-privatisation of land, going all the way back to the Peasants' Revolt, to the Levellers, the Diggers, Thomas Spence, Thomas Paine. England has those traditions. Yeah. The, the, um, the massacre at Peterloo. What I find fascinating is that imperial success, if we can call it success, has brainwashed a lot of people into identifying with symbols of oppression, including Henry VIII, who killed thousands of poor people. We're, yeah. t- we're, we're taught divorce, beheaded, died, divorce, beheaded, survived. We're not taught that he murdered lots of poor people just because it's fun and it's Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. You know, so it's very fascinating. Even what we learn about England is tempered by a particular view of who is English and who represents the country yeah. and, and what constitutes English history. When I was much younger and I studied much less world history, I used to feel like only black people had been written out of world history. Which, of course, the extremity to which Africa has been written out of the human story is probably the most extreme. But to different degrees around the world, women, poor people, uh, people who are political dissidents are written out of the national story, even if they fundamentally shaped yeah, that given country. I mean, it's it's easy to overlook that it's far more prevalent as a class thing rather than as a race or sex thing. And so that at points, women were a lower class. At points certain races were a lower class and it's therefore class that can often be the thing that's that's that that actually unifies them as who are written out and who are ignored well i think i think the thing the two things are not mutually exclusive or the three things i think class race and gender function as a matrix altogether yeah and i don't think one predominates the other i think they they interact in a way that is is quite insidious because for example you can be a wealthy person i was just in zimbabwe yeah if the, the wealthy class in Zimbabwe around the world are invisible because of where they are in the world. They're in black Africa. It, there's a perception of how they live based on racial ideology that has nothing to do with their reality. They drive Mercedes. They live like rich people everywhere else. They yeah. eat at the ice cream parlor. They go to the shopping mall. They live in nice, huge houses with massive farms. Like life for rich people in Zimbabwe and in most of Africa is is fantastic just like life is for rich people at least materially and so our racial assumptions based on kind of mistaught history 
can still exist and go against the grain of class, just in the same way that poor people can be made to hate the other. In the yeah. way that when we came here as Caribbeans, there was a lot of physical violence and resistance. And even now we're seeing this year, which has been one of the saddest things of this year for me, black South Africans murdering other African immigrants coming into their country on the grounds of your sounding like racist, what we would quote unquote see as being racist white people coming yeah. here, taking our jobs, blah, blah, blah. We had a Zulu king come out and diss all these other Africans that were coming. About 60 people were murdered. Might have yeah. even been more than that. I mean, there was a massive... And given that South Africa inspired the world with its anti-racist struggle, given that other African nations lent help to that anti-apartheid struggle, to me, seeing that level of kind of virulent anti-black racism coming from other black people was part of the legacy of apartheid, but also just of human weakness. Was It was kind of really humbling. You know, you look yeah. at the world and you think this, this, this kind of gargantuan set of problems that we have, it, it can be overawing sometimes. Yeah. Do you think that? I mean, do you think that in in some ways comes back round to to the 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 ability to take on certain traits or overwhelming notions because of the internet now? So, so that general feeling now around a lot of the world that you're seeing of immigrants are bad, immigration bad, which is crazy when you think of literally every country it, exactly. is built on immigration. Oh, exactly. Literally every, every country. Yeah. So you're saying that immigration from now is bad so it, was, it wasn't well, no, but a few even then, years back, even then we're you know? only let's be clear i mean i we're, we're in we're in uh kensington and chelsea we are in the wealthiest borough in britain right now which yeah. also has a lot of poverty in it i point that out because no one's now there's a whole bunch of islamic immigrants yeah just south of this borough yeah that are billionaires that's not who we're talking about when we say migration no. right yeah, so yeah, even yeah, when we're talking yeah, about yeah. this is what i mean about race and class yeah right when we talk about muslims migrating here who have we got an issue with it's not muslim billionaires from oil rich gulf states who buy ferraris and McLarens and, st and and keep all the hotels in Kensington and Knightsbridge full. Yeah. We haven't got an issue with those people. No. So even though they're the quote-unquote wrong religion, even though they're the quote-unquote wrong race, their money and their allegiance to the British elite means that they're not a problem. It's not those immigrants we mean. It's yeah, the poor totally. people. It's people that are perceived to be... And even if those rich people... Many of their elites can be proved to be allied to certain ideologies and funding certain dangerous ideologies. doesn't matter as long as they keep the oil flowing and keep the money in the right people's back pockets. I mean, the scariest part f of, for me is the immigrants that the majority of the UK who are against immigration are against are fictional immigrants. They're immigrants that aren't real people. They're of these course. versions of them that yeah. you've read about and heard of these fear-mongering stories of about. Course. So. It's it's crazy that there's such an uproar over, again, a fictional thing. And again, not to keep coming back to it, but surely that comes down to, to greater education. comes down to greater education, and you're right, it comes or down to... Or providing of information, at least. Yeah. It's, it's, it's both the things we talked about, in fact, education and a freer, more open and accurate media, rather than we can say, say yeah. what we want, and then it will be read, and then we can rescind some of it down the line if it wasn't quite right, you know, but that's not going to be paid attention to. I think the sad thing is, whether we like it or not, the mainstream media isn't isn't going anywhere and people no. are not going to turn off those channels. So I think we have to, as, as people involved in alternative media, we have to create our own platforms yeah. and, where possible, interact with and engage with putting different information on those popular platforms. And all of the uproar around immigration this year... Has, and during the election is really just about distracting us from the problems 
of this society yeah. and that the ruling elite of this society, like ruling elites in most societies, have displayed immense corruption, giving 700 billion or whatever the number was to their mates who ruined the economy, privatising everything from here to kingdom come, creating all sorts of problems within the society that are totally unnecessary. Britain is a very wealthy society, has more than enough money to feed, clothe, house, educate, provide healthcare for every single person in this country many times over. More more than, and that's, that's something that has to be made clear when people respond to immigration with things like, well, once we've sorted out our own homeless issues or our own things, then then we can start thinking about yeah. our world. It's like, well, no, that 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 that's of that stuff that we can, that stuff that's in in the budgets yeah, yeah, and in the cash flow of, of, of the country. And and the problem with that isn't people coming here. A B. Most of the people that have come here have come here skilled, qualified. I mean, yeah. we can't, we've got to make up our mind. If we don't like immigrants, then we shouldn't use the NHS because yeah, it was built yeah, by immigrants. Yeah. You know, make, make up your mind. 100%. And I'm fine with it. If you don't like immigrants, then die there's, instead of letting the Bangladeshi woman a, or the Ghanaian there's woman. There's a Doug Stanhope bit where he's saying about how, in, um, particularly in, in America, near, the nearer to Mexico you get, the more there's people saying... These people coming over, they can't even speak the language. They can't even do the, you know, do basic things. And then they also say they're, they're stealing our jobs. It's like, if you're losing your job to someone who can't even speak the, the language, if, if you're putting you're this, if you're putting job, this, yeah, exactly. if you're putting this person down, if in yeah. your mind, the people coming over here are such a drain on society, then if they're stealing your jobs, then you need to up your fucking game, really. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not, you can't and, have both of them. Yeah, exactly. They can't be the completely useless, lazy, uh, welfare you need claimants to pick your fiction. and also having jobs. Like, yeah. At least if you're yeah. going to go with a stereotype, be consistent. Yeah. But I mean, also the hypocrisy, particularly for Britain, is the amount of British people living abroad um, it runs well into the millions. A, yeah. B, the history of this country founding settler colonial uh, states in South Africa, in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, in Australia, in America. All of those descendants still live there. Some yeah. of whom are direct, like when I was in Zimbabwe, there's over a million people of British descent in Zimbabwe still, all of whom are quite wealthy, despite what people want to tell you. Yeah. All of whom live very well, despite how people want to portray it. That's why they haven't come back. And so we've got to make up our mind. You know, We can't act like this kind of small, victimised, tiny little island when this country was the first global empire in the history of humanity. Make up your mind. Britain had 52 countries, I've said this before, that it claimed to be the mother of, it was mm -hmm. the mother country of the British Commonwealth, and the vast majority of the people who've immigrated into this country are from the British Commonwealth. The recent waves of immigration, we've got to make up our mind. Either we love Syrians so much that we want to militarily intervene to save them from their supposed... And I don't know enough about Syrian politics, yeah, so I'm yeah, not saying yeah. Assad is or isn't a bad or good guy, because I would like to look into it for myself. I haven't done that in the case of Syria enough sure. to make the comment. The point is, if we are willing to muster the military might of the British armed forces to save these people, because we love them apparently, yeah. yet we don't want them in our country. So if the truth is there's some British strategic interest to protect there, don't insult the British public, say, look oil region or, uh, uh, you know, we're against Iran and blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is that is the strategic interest, just be honest with the British public, which is obviously not going to happen. Yeah. Just say these are the reasons we think we should deploy yeah. military force. But it's not because we love Syrians, otherwise we'd be welcoming them into the country. Incidentally, we also, a lot of people like to forget this today, during Nazi Germany, Britain also refused to take a lot of Jewish people and describe them in particularly the Daily Mail in remarkably similar ways to the way that we're describing people yeah. coming from Syria today. So yeah. people's memory is so short today, because there is a genuine respect for the Holocaust as a particularly horrific event. No one wants to look back and admit Britain refused to take a lot of those migrants, yeah. but that is yeah, what happens. Yeah. And, and so I feel like the British elite 
has learned nothing. Most ordinary people are decent people, I believe. And if you, the reason why I can prove that is if you look even where UKIP received all their votes, it was in all the places there's no immigrants. So what does it tell you? All the people that don't know any immigrants yeah. are the ones that hate them. There's like yeah. an inverse map and it's an inverse to where the populations of immigration are high and where uh, UKIP got their votes and it's all Completely. in all the populations. And it's, it's, it's fascinating as well because it does not to be um, unnecessarily kind of goading or or disrespectful to your UKIPs and things like mm. that. But that that fact just tells you that generally they are that bit further in the past you know in in in, in in areas where immigration where in in the, the, the 70s and 80s where african families came mm-hmm. into to south london came mm-hmm. into the midlands mm-hmm. asian families into the mid mm-hmm. all over the country they're not the areas that have this issue because they've got to know this they've seen this they've built they've grown whereas now that that's happening and spreading out it's taken you know mm-hmm. 10 20 30 years now that's starting to happen, they're having the same fears that that London had all course, them years you ago. Ain't, you ain't got to tell and, me. You know, yeah. And it turned out yeah. all right. <laughs> it, it, well, it turned actually, out okay. It turned I would, out affluent I would say, and really, you know, I, I would say in many, in many ways, London, for all its faults, I'm not going to pretend London is a paradise because it isn't. Yeah. Um, but in many ways, it is a model, quite a remarkable model, not because of the British elite, I would say in spite of them, particularly in working class London. I grew up in North London, Archway, Holloway, around there. My neighbourhood had kids from Somalia, India, Cyprus, Ireland, Turkey, Jamaica, Ghana, working class white English. Even we had actually a lot of kind of middle and upper class kids and in a weird way. Yeah. You know, I'm not... Race was there, you know. We particularly in primary school, it didn't matter so much. In secondary school, we did become stratified by race because of experience. All the young black boys started hanging around together because of the way teachers stereotyped us and because of getting searched by the police. And certain experiences socialise you into particular groups. But we still all kind of interacted. And the yeah. main tension was not race. Black boys were not fighting with Asian boys. In fact, Asian boys were fighting each other. The white boys were fighting each other. And the black boys were fighting each other. It was yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. the violence was segregated yeah. in groups. And there was some cross-cultural violence, but most of it was not based around race anymore. And so it's a really interesting new culture. If you look at young people in London today, again, I'm not saying it's a utopia, but I'd say to a remarkable degree, more than probably any other place on the planet, there is a, such a diverse range of people living next to each other in relative peace. Yeah. And, and that is quite fascinating about London as a model. And actually, I, it makes me very proud of the city, even if I don't feel totally British or English, I feel very much like a Londoner and I feel very much like this city has shaped me and who I am and I wouldn't have had the experiences I've had and the interaction I've had with Cypriot culture or Gujarati culture or Turkish people or Irish people anywhere else in the world while still remaining a proudness of who I am and what I am. And so in many ways, London is very unique and very amazing and it seems current policy is trying to destroy all of that. Pushing out all the poor people. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be down to, again, you've got to... a look back at when we were this that's the benefit or when it was first acceptable of when we were this great empire supposedly because we're going to all these places and saying how great Britain yeah, exactly. You've got around the world. It's amazing. You've got around telling everyone exactly. that Britain's amazing. And like, say, if I want to come. And then a few years yeah, later, exactly, you're like, well, it's, no, it, it's not It's not for you. It's like, no. You're... And, and the funny thing is, even, even this mythology that Britain was once this homogenous place, when? We can go back to the Industrial Revolution and even then, conditions for workers were so bad in London mm. that every year they had to replenish 
the working population with immigrants, immigrants yeah. from Eastern Europe, immigrants from Ireland, immigrants from all over the world. Granted, in many cases, most of those immigrants were quote unquote European and what we today would call white. Nonetheless, immigration on an island has been constant. So I think, I think most of the people that would probably listen to someone like yourself already kind of know that. And that's yeah. the shame is that we're preaching to the converted. What hasn't been done is there hasn't been a comprehensive show just laying out the facts very simply, not yeah. just of Britain, but of the history of the movement of peoples around the world, which has obviously been a constant ever yeah. since the Ethiopian uh, Australopithecus called Dinkonesh that they call Lucy, to quote my friend Annie Anaxaguru. You know, people have been migrating forever. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's... Xenophobia ain't going to stop it's, that. It's great. Just speaking there of, of preaching to the converted, we had, I had some guests on from a website called Full Facts, org who now have their own podcast as well and what i like about them is they they go through they'll they'll look at britain first posts and they'll they'll look at the stats quoted and they'll go and analyze them and give the correct stats but the thing i like about them is they will do the same for left-wing post or propaganda or things like that that aren't accurate and that's the Uh, exciting thing there is 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 finding more or i guess the internet provided a platform to say right are we going to be unbiased? We're going to be as critical and as as stringent on on the stuff that we, we support, agree with. Yeah, absolutely. As, as well as the Which stuff we that we're against. You Just know? because we politically agree with something, there's no excuse for shoddy scholarship. Yeah. If I quote something and I'm mistaken, I want people to correct me on that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and say actually, have you checked out this? Just because you might agree broadly with the political point, there's no reason to not be specific and not to correct. Actually, that was inaccurate. That was inaccurate. Actually, there's new data around that. For example, I found out something yesterday I didn't really know. I mean, I've been studying African history for a very long time. And not that this is an inaccuracy, but it's just something that really fascinated me. I thought, wow, how could I not know that? And I've been studying this history for like 15 years. I found out that there there was an indigenous West African uh, smallpox inoculation and that the vast majority, almost all of the West Africans, were inoculated against smallpox before they were enslaved in the Americas, which is why smallpox did not have the effect on the African population oh, that wow. had on indigenous Americans. And this is known today. I mean, That's so, crazy. Right. Yeah. Now, I've been studying this history 15, 20 years, and I didn't know that. So it's, it's really, shout out to Robin Walker, who's the scholar whose book I read that that was in. Yeah. Um, and for people who want it, I'll tweet the, uh, the, the book link, and they can go in and check that out. But what I find, one of the things that's so great about the world today and the internet is this access to such a broad plethora of information this ability yeah. to fact check very quickly obviously it's another platform for spreading bullshit too yeah but hey you know bullshit's always existed and and just because i'm into a particular set of things can't doesn't mean i can kind of get morally uptight but and it's, like, i said it's, yeah. it's 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 the ability to fact check that bit easier and still so many people won't and that's that's something that we just have to deal with i mean that's it mm. is the an illustration of that i often use is people will tweet me asking or when my next gig in Birmingham is, or something like that. When it's, it's like, blatantly it's listed, like, right? It's like, or, or just like you're on, you're on the internet. Yeah, like, you yeah, can sure. find that out. You, yeah, like, you can find that out in a second. They just want to just Google it. Yeah. You can do it. But again, it's that same thing. It's and I'm, I've been guilty of it in the past. It's far easier to read something that that makes your blood boil and, and repost it. Whereas yeah. now you can read something that makes your blood boil quickly. Do a quick search of fact checking it or or. Yeah. or or debunking or demystifying or whatever. And there's pages that do that. Just go, right, here's the facts about it. Like Again, McDonald's are a great example of that. Mm. I don't eat at McDonald's. Me neither. I'm not... I haven't eaten meat for as nine years. As much as I'm not a fan of the taste, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're clearly not a great company. But <laughs> yeah. they're one of the companies I end up arguing with people almost in favour of the most because there's so much bullshit out there about them that's mm. so easy to debunk that people believe, believe anything. If you did a post saying... 
most of the burgers are made from horse meat and i've had these facts millions of people would push it out there Mm. just believing it as fact so again Mm. it's that thing of of checking Mm. being as stringent on what you believe in or what supports your beliefs yeah there's enough wrong with mcdonald's exactly you can just put this is what's wrong with them and this is exactly i think it's about being um having i've always been obsessed with it's it's completely right to be passionate and have strength and conviction in your beliefs, but mm. not to be married to them to the extent you can't be educated on them or Absolutely. learn more. And that's, you know, it, it shouldn't be a shameful thing for someone to say, you're wrong, actually. Here's, here's yeah. why. Yeah, you know, that, that should be something that you're craving and mm. looking for. Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about the general British r- reaction to things then, the our, our way. I mean, we've talked a lot about the ruling classes, essentially. Mm. And I think... It saddens me at point how little we're we're willing to do to back against them. Whereas you Mm. look at at places like France, example I often give, I loved it in France when they tried to bring clamping in Mm. and the French people didn't agree with it. So as one, any time there was a clamp, they'd put glue in it. So it had to be broken to Mm. be taken off. They stopped clamping. They acted as, as as a community, say we don't accept this from the government. Now, my only thinking on that is we're a, we have a history or the history we're taught is of the of the elite conquering and making us great, the great in Great Britain being mm-hmm. the kings and the queens, mm-hmm. not yep. the people. Whereas a place like France, their history is, is, is social revolution, is, mm-hmm. is, is the people Even though they had up. an empire of the same scale. Yeah, exactly. But to the, define the, themselves But by. the bits that's, that's yeah. no more is yeah, when the people absolutely. have come up and said, mm-hmm. right, we're not going to take this anymore. So what do, we, or what do you think we need to do to, to make the UK take more responsibility or say, right, if we're not happy with this, for example, if we're not happy with the way our electoral system works. In my mind, it's crazy that we in general go, right, well, next election, I'm going to vote against that. You know, I'm not saying that that's that's the wrong thing to do. I'm Mm. saying surely there's more immediate or more direct ways to address your issues or or, or discontent. Politics is all day, every day. And I think we have been lulled into a sense of laziness by celebrity culture. I think we have been lulled into a lack of education about the way in which the hard-fought freedoms, limited freedoms that we have, were won. So most people think that poor people have the right to vote or to go on holiday or to not live in Victorian slums because of the enlightenment of the ruling classes when actually every single freedom that people have in this country was hard-fought and won, usually yeah. by the shed of blood. And I can... I can that we can go through it like i said some of the things i mentioned earlier from the peterloo massacre which was a march of uh, parliamentary for parliamentary reform in which 15 unarmed protesters were hacked to death by the um the yeomanry a military constabulary up in st peter's in manchester but not long after parliamentary reform came yeah because of this uh, consistent determined uh, waves of resistance to a lack of democracy. democracy i mean it's it's it's, 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 it's it's very much a myth an easy line to say violence never solved anything and again i'm not saying yeah. that violence is the only answer but violence has oh, been a very problems. powerful tool throughout history and again it's not it's not always if there's a peaceful solution f- fucking brilliant that's great news but Love it. there's not always a peaceful well i mean i'm solution. from you, 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 you look at people like um mandela or all these yeah. many of people where there was some violence involved there as well but yeah, generally when you look at the peaceful side of it the peaceful side of it was took 
years and years in prison and, you know, all, all these other things rather than... And, and even then, I mean, many people would argue Mandela didn't defeat apartheid. He defeated political apartheid. Yeah. But the white settler colony that is South Africa is all of the wealth, all of the banks, most of the land, everything that was owned by the same people before apartheid is still owned by most of the same people after. So he got rid of political apartheid, which is a fantastic achievement. Huge. But it isn't the whole story. My family's from Jamaica, my dad's family. So for me, you know, something, an institution as unjust as slavery, people want to pretend it came to an end because of William Wilberforce, you know, uh, petition in Parliament. Abolitionism is part of the story. Meanwhile, in Jamaica, Sam Sharp and Paul Bogle and the Maroons were burning down half of the island. Yeah. We're chopping up slave masters, making slavery untenable. We literally destroyed the entire infrastructure to have slavery in Jamaica. It's not a coincidence that it was then abolished a couple of years later. Yeah. So it's. I wish, like you said, it would be wonderful if there was always a peaceful solution. And things like clamping can be solved in that way. And there are groups that do things like that, but it needs to be a more sustained campaign. Incidentally, from my understanding, and someone can correct me on this if they hear this when I'm wrong, because I haven't fully fact-checked this, but I was told this by a, 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 traffic, a traffic warden in Scotland, that they don't allow private companies in Scotland to um, profit from clamping and oh, tickets. Because really? yeah. basically, she didn't give me a ticket. And I was wondering why. I was like, why didn't you give me a ticket? I was in the shop for like 20 minutes yeah. trying to get changed and I just got carried away. I was like, oh, we don't make any money. We don't make commission. There are no private companies up here. And our motivation is to keep traffic moving. Yeah. Our motivation isn't to make money. And so I it's think with things motivation. like that, exactly. With things like that, I've seen these people take the cars of a pregnant mother with four children when she's on the school run on the way home because she's got some unpaid tickets. I yeah. mean, to me, how you can have that happening... Even for me. Now, I, I take it, you know, maybe I'm lucky I can afford to pay the fines or whatever else. I'm not saying I'm rich, but, you know, I'm, I don't have any children and I'm doing okay. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I've been in a situation where I've got a ticket for 40 quid and I've missed it. I don't know if I'm, I'm crap at opening my letters. Yeah. Six months later, the bloody thing's seven, 800 quid. Yeah. How can something go from 40 pounds to seven? And then bailiff will come and knock on your door and you think, well, this has got to be illegal. You know, the yeah. guy's tried to take my car for a ticket that has started off as 40 pounds. I mean, who gives these people permission to do stuff I'm, like that? I'm, 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 not to go off track, but I'm going through ex- exactly the same thing at of the course. moment because I moved recently yeah. and I've just had a letter f- forwarded on from my old place from a month or two ago saying you, you, you owe £40. That's now gone up to two, £300. And I'm saying, I don't think that's just. No, you know, I've, I've not dodged or avoided this. I yeah. changed my address and it wasn't put through in some way. I've got proof of this. So, again, it's that thing yeah. of... I can't, I can't claim that I didn't yeah, know. But, I, but I again, literally just don't know. It's, it's, it's still injustice <laughs> that, hey, that I would... Again, it's that thing of... Again, it's lucky to be in a, a situation where, again, I'm not wealthy, but... You're doing all right. Whatever yeah. happens, yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, you know, I'm doing all right. I would rather go to court to argue that, yeah. to make... To, to say that I think it's unjust to say that for, for no further expense, it's mm. now gone up at this much. You know I mean... The, 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 there's nothing to justify this extra money. No, Time than, has passed. Yeah, that's it. Time has passed, yeah. therefore... It's, it's a it's tax like, on right, In that case, then we can say, let's forget that time passed and go back to what the original offence was and deal with... You know, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather morally go and argue that and then pay whatever the hell I have to pay than just go, all right, well, because you're scaremongering it and saying mm. bailiffs and all this other shit, it's like, oh, I'll just... I'll put my hands up and say that's acceptable, you know? And it's also, I mean, but back to your question, I suppose, what do we do to change the culture? And I think it is changing. I think this generation, and maybe it's just me being naive, I'm seeing more political activism. 
I'm yeah. seeing people becoming awake. I'm seeing more interest in history. I'm seeing people realising that actually the situation in the country is getting quite serious. There is a massive push to the right. I mean, I, I read in the news day before yesterday that the Conservatives have just said they're going to build a prison in Jamaica, £25 million. They're building a prison in Jamaica to send back all of the Jamaican criminals to Jamaica. And because of all the scaremongering, even I thought there were more Jamaican criminals in the UK prisons than there really are. Yeah. You know how many people it is? It's 700 people. That's crazy, right? And there are more Irish and yeah. more Polish in Britain's prisons than there are Jamaicans. There are over 10,000 foreign nationals in Britain's prisons. Yeah. This is all according to the Daily Mail. So yeah, this is the most yeah. right-wing statistics yeah, yeah, available. Yeah, 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 and course. still they even had to admit, well, why aren't we sending back the Irish? Oh, because we've got a special relationship with them. Why aren't we sending back the Polish? Oh, because their prisons are already full. So I can't help but cynically think, is this the first step towards sending back British-born people of Jamaican origin? Yeah. Because what else could be the motivation for Britain to spend £25 million in a recession, supposedly, on building a prison in a foreign British Commonwealth country? And so I think with this type of uh, George Osborne saying he's going to get rid of free school meals, as someone who grew up on free school meals, yeah, 100%. I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, what you're saying is you want people to starve. Yeah. Because there are literally children in this country through no fault of their own, who are born into families who don't have money, who will not eat if there are no free school meals. Yeah. How do you expect a child to learn if there are no free school meals? What you're saying is you want this child to go on the street. Yeah. Because if I'm not eating breakfast and my only chance for a meal and is at school and school's no longer providing free school meals and I'm hungry and I'm 14, what am I going to do at that point? Oh, and the local drug 100%. dealer saying, yo fam, you can make £200 a day, you know? All you've yeah. got to do is X, Y and Z. If it's a choice between that and not, oh, is that what we're saying? We're gonna, we're actually, they're actually trying to turn poverty in this country. I mean, it's back a hundred years. It's, it's, it's a. It feels like it harks again to our obsession with American culture in many ways. Because yeah, because like America. America's had that for so long. Oh, of, always. of 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 of. Of of turning the ghettos into real ghettos, what they are, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was just an area where poor people live. We'll, we'll demonise it enough and put yeah. enough restrictions on that. Yeah, that is now an area that you don't want to go at night because well, there are drug dealers and there are this and all that. It's like that's not through choice in in, in many situations. Yeah. That's not through choice. That's through the the the, f- the forcing of circumstance and situation. I'll these. give you a specific example. Compton, probably yeah. the most famous ghetto in America, was a middle-class neighbourhood in the 60s. A lot yeah. of people don't know this. That's why it looks so nice. Originally, it was a, a middle-class white neighbourhood. Then loads of black populations, socially, upperly mobile black population, started to move in. It became an all-black neighbourhood, still middle-class, because most of the black population in Compton worked at two huge car factories that were in the area. I right. think one was Chrysler, one was Ford. But don't quote me on that part of it. Yeah, there were yeah, two yeah, huge yeah. car factories. Everyone worked there. Those car factories closed down. Overnight, Compton went from 80% employment to 80% unemployment. Yeah. And that's when the gangs came in. That's when the poverty... So literally the same people who before were willing to work, willing to work hard, yeah. had nice middle class lives, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that's, stable neighbourhood, no race of violence. Circumstance. Yeah. You can't put that down to anything right. intrinsic now, in their Yes, character. maybe now people are making choices. Some people get out of the hood, however we want to cut it. The fact is a decision to outsource work to Asia because it was yeah. cheaper because the bottom line made more profit had consequences, very real consequences for poor neighbourhoods all across the country. And that was part of design policy. Even yeah. the way they design, if you, if you want to find, because um, in America poverty is so racialized, if you want to find the black neighborhood in any American city, just look for where the freeway is. Because yeah. in the 60s, during a period called urban renewal, aka also known as nigger removal, they built 
motorways over all of the black neighborhoods so that people didn't have to drive through them so there wouldn't no commerce it, yeah. would be created so the bronx is like that there's a, a freeway that comes That's from crazy. outside in the suburbs into manhattan that. yeah in chicago it's like that in la it's like that and so you have these kind of isolated islands that are an outcome of policy france has the same and it seems that england will not be satisfied or at least certain factions of the british elite will not be satisfied until we go from being one of the most multicultural one of the most diverse one of the most peaceful major cities of that kind of range of population and range of income and really culturally interesting into an ethnically homogenous uh, wealthy with of course its touch of Russian uh, Middle Eastern African Indian billionaires of course because yeah. we'll never get rid of those we're always happy to be multicultural yeah, yeah, with wealth and 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 we want to go on that kind of Parisian model again what do we do I believe we use forms of alternative media I believe we we use forms of resistance I believe I mean there's like that I can't remember the was it E15 project the young yeah. mums in East London yeah, 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 yeah. occupied the housing uh, estate there. I believe we engage in efforts like that. I believe uh, from really positive thing I saw, there's these immigration enforcement vans going around, you know, randomly pulling over people and trying to send them, quote unquote, back to where they came from. I saw a really inspiring picture from Shadwell where the local boys had cut the tyres of these vans. I'm not even going to complain about that. I'm not upset by it. I think you have to have forms of resistance that... Uh, occupy many different spaces from education to physically being present to marching to organizing yourself in the way you speak daily but i don't think we should give up uh the i don't think we should give up the current gains yeah. limited gains that we have without without any kind of a fight i think it, i think it, it comes back to something you said earlier that's great that the, the politics is a daily a day-to-day yeah, thing absolutely. and i think around the time of the election you saw far more of these campaigns yeah. being supported the, mm-hmm. the, the the mums and all the different things that were were people being active to 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 show this and then as the election came around it didn't go the way a lot of people wanted quite understandably a lot of people were disheartened and were like oh it's not worked or it's like i think the thing that we there wasn't again, another, i think we we're, we're learning to be a politically active society yeah um, and I think one of the essential things to learn is a lot of the times you're not necessarily f- fighting to win. You're fighting because it's something that's worth f- fighting for. Yeah. You know, the, the winning sh- should be an end goal, but you shouldn't go, oh, the election didn't go the way we want, therefore we, we should stop. Up. It's like, right, well, that means you have to fight all the harder and there should be more support and more and more actions. Well, I think way. also there wasn't a credible, viable in my view, progressive alternative in the last election. Yeah. Whereas in Scotland there was, and everyone voted for it. Yeah. So I think now in the UK, with even though I'll never be a supporter of the Labour Party, having someone like Jeremy Corbyn there offering such a... I mean, look at the way they're per- portraying the guy in the media. You'd think yeah. the guy was bloody Adolf Hitler. Yeah. The way they're talking about him, which is fascinating for a guy preaching peace to kind of be put across as this kind of out of touch, slightly crazy, eccentric... It just shows you how out of touch the people who a, are... A, a, a danger to... to to British community and society because he's not willing it's, it's to bomb random what, people around the, the country like, what the Prime the Minister has said that he's a, he's a, he's a threat to like, national security it's hilarious apparently. yeah but, but now it means that there is even within the confines I'm not going to overinflate the degree to which someone within party politics can change a country because I'm, I'm not that naive about the way things work but there is now something that is qualitatively different in a mainstream yeah. space Tony Blair and David Cameron I mean it's apples and oranges yeah completely right? Um, whereas obviously someone like Corbyn, unlike David Cameron, who wanted to hang Nelson Mandela, I do believe, 
Jeremy Corbyn was an active anti-apartheid activist yeah. in the 80s. He has a good record of being progressive in many ways. And again, I don't support the Labour Party, but I understand now that what we can see is the manifestation in party political terms of, of that alternative idea. That doesn't mean people should just give up and just go and vote for the guy that they like. You still have to organise. You still have to be educated. You still have to continually, if what you believe in is a freer, fairer, uh, more caring, more loving society. That's something you have to try and practice on a daily basis and push forward on a daily basis. Because the people who want everything for themselves are going to continually fight for it on a daily basis. Yeah, completely. I mean, how do you feel then um, to play, no, not even devil's advocate here, yeah. with with a greater arising of a genuine choice on the left that is different from yeah. the other parties, with Corbyn, with, 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 with numerous others. In that case... My argument has always been, I think that UKIP are the the biggest bunch of... I'm not uneducated. I don't yeah. want to start throwing names about. Yeah. But I feel I feel most of their points. If you if you discuss them and have facts there, yeah. they can be broken down. They're a indefensible. Lot. So, yeah. so again, I, I, yeah. But equally, I feel th- if there's a percentage of of society that thinks that way, then they need to be represented in this in this argument in this fight for power, mm-hmm. and they're as important. Even though. Yeah, I might if, disagree if, with them, but if that's even though if I had an option to say they're gone, they're gone. The fact is, there's there's a portion no, yeah, of society democracy that doesn't needs mean you get your that, weight all the time. Exactly, yeah. and that's the thing that I think people. I'm, I'm, I'm personally, and again, I don't talk about my political beliefs too much because I feel they can be a hugely personal thing. You know, I'm not Russell Brand. I don't feel I love Russell, yeah. but I don't yeah. feel an urge to convince everyone of my way of thinking. Yeah. My, my problem is I don't support our current form of democracy yeah and i think the thing that was ironic to me in many ways of a lot of my left-leaning friends in the last election Mm -hmm. where they were all hugely excited but then when they didn't get their way working within the current form of democracy they all to say threw their toys out the pram is 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 almost incendiary but they were all very unhappy it's like well the whole for premise me, is for me. Yeah. You should have had that anger before, before it. Yeah, you can't I, get I, I angry agree. just because it didn't go the way yeah. you wanted. It's, not, it's fine, uh, and because I am, it's fine to be against our current democratic system, our forms of voting, our representation, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it it irks me somewhat when you're happy to go along in that when you thought you might get your way. But then when you don't get your way, you're then angry about it. It should be a thing that you should remain angry about. This yeah. shouldn't be a, a, oh shit, the Tories are in, therefore it's all it's yeah, all I mean, unfair. I mean, it's like, no, it was unfair, unfair before they won. It would have been unfair if if it had gone far more away that supports my beliefs. It's still, in yeah, my I mean, opinion, I mean, would have been I mean, a bad system. I mean, we, 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 of course, I, I think all of that's, I mean, all of that's accurate. And how do we work to change that? I don't have the answer. What I do know is there are many things we can do that are within our power to win small victories. Yeah. It's like almost people, some people are so simplistic that you have revolution or reform. Yeah. When the truth is in between. You can reform to a point where a group of progressive people have such an amount of power and a stake in society that they can influence certain things. Now, obviously, revolutions happen throughout history, but they don't come out of the blue. They come out of particular sets of progress uh, processes. You can't just manufacture a revolution. small victories along the way to build up this. Uh, the and are uh, they the small? only I mean, times a revolution will work is when there's been a learning curve 
to get there. There's Ex- a, exactly a great a, building a of consciousness. From the Battle of Algiers, Algiers is um, it's 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 hard to start a revolution, harder still to, uh, to win a revolution. Um, no, sorry, sorry, hard to start a revolution, harder still to sustain a revolution, hardest of all to win a revolution. Exactly. But it's only uh, once we've won. That the, the real struggle begins because that's the thing, and we saw that with the Arab Springs uprisings, all these kind of things, where so many uh, dictatorships, other things, were overthrown, but then there wasn't a structure or plan to move on after that, and corruption would come in, and and extremism would come in, and all these different things where there was this exciting uprising of the people to suddenly go, shit, I don't, we don't know what to do now. Do you know what I mean? That can then be exploited by the West, by you know, by all sorts of of different. Well, uh, it's, it's funny because being, being somewhere like Zimbabwe, despite what people say, the country is far from one of the worst countries in Africa. It's far from one of the most violent. Jamaica's way more violent. Everyone loves to go there on holiday. Yeah. I don't want to give the impression that Zimbabwe is a specifically problematic country because it isn't. Like any post-colonial nation, it has its problems. But why it relates to this point is exactly that Zimbabwe gets its independence in 1980 after military struggle. You know, it has years of kind of facilitating between being having a great relationship with Britain, which it actually had up until 1997 and the land reform. And now it's sort of in a position where it is finding its feet and finding how does it move forward now that the revolution's been won. And even though this is 35 years later, it's a 35 year old country, it's still facing that challenge as many nations in Africa and Latin America and Asia are. Because running a country is not easy. I'll yeah. give the British elite, they're due in this sense, as much as I may disagree with a lot of their policies, a lot of the way they view the world, there are a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. And when I look uh, at... They've been bred to know no, how they're, to they're, run a country. They're a bunch it's, of it's, clever it's, individuals. It's, it's one of the yeah. great contradictions yeah. I have with Blair is I maintain he was a fantastic politician. I don't think that he was, mean he was, a, nice think he was yeah. a good human. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think he was a good yeah, prime minister, but he was yeah, a, he's one yeah, of absolutely. the best pure absolutely. politicians that we've had in, in British politics. Absolutely. And I would say the same for Obama. Yeah. Yeah. Despite people thinking that I should support Obama just because he's half African. Yeah. Um, Obama is a fantastic politician. I don't think he's a fantastic human. I look at his record on speaking about police brutality in America, which has been very obvious. Yeah. I look at the fact that he was willing to bomb an African country. I look at the fact that he continued most of Bush's wars. I judge the man on what he actually did, not what he said he was going to do before he came in. And I didn't get happy just because his dad's black. I look at what actually happened. But he is a brilliant politician. Say, he's an incredibly intelligent man. He's very charismatic. Let's talk a little on yeah. Obama then. Is is your view changing at all? Because I, uh, until a year or two ago, I would com- completely agree with you. It felt like Obama came in with all these promises and all these ideas and then just fell into line like everything else. And it's only a theory, but it feels like now he spent his first term playing the game. Do you know what I mean? The the fact is, no one in the way both of our political systems are are set up, unless you're a dictator overthrowing another dictator, then it's almost impossible to come in and have complete huge change. It has to be a gradual thing. So it feels that Obama, and again, it may be to an unforgivable extent. I'm not deciding on it yet. It feels that Obama came in and appeased a lot of people that were primarily against things he believed but it now feels like he's in his his final term almost they can't touch him now that he's making those moves with with game game marriage with with the confederate flag with again just this week i mean this will be going out a few weeks later but genuinely being one of the first to start to bring up the gun debate the 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 arms debate and things like that and it feels that 
where I spent the first four years going, hmm. fuck this guy. He's not, he's not hmm. doing anything. I now look at it and go, well, the next a, a year or so I will tell this, but it could be a case that he's played this game really well of spending a few years to, to gain his, to, or to back up his power, if you know what I mean. Cause yeah. it's crazy to think that the role of president of the United States of America mm. isn't actually that powerful position. There's a lot of people behind that. So it feels that maybe he's just, he's built his power up there by getting the right people on side or changing things out, you know, moving things around slightly. And now he's able to go, right, we're changing the game, game marriage law. His, his speech after, I mean, it was three, three shootings ago now, I think, but his speech after one of the shootings... It was not it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, his speech after one of them blew me away because it didn't feel like, and I'm sure it was, but it didn't feel like a president making a written statement. He kind of stood there and said, this is the eighth time I've had to to do this this year. Kind of, and said, like, at some point, we're going to have to admit that we're not doing it right. At some point, we're going to have to look at Australia and look at Portugal and look at other countries and go we're not doing it right. you know. Well, so what's your feelings on him at this point well, or me, on the potential for, of him? For me, I think that he's a, obviously an incredibly intelligent man. Yeah. And for a man of his level of education to want to be the President of the United States of America, knowing everything that that entails, mm. knowing that that obviously entails overseeing murder, knowing that that entails deciding who dies and lives, knowing that entails knowing certain amounts about the world and not revealing it to the public, knowing all the things that come with occupying that office, I think takes a certain type of human to even be able to do that. And I'm not not passing a a judgment on that because I've never been in that world. I wasn't educated at Harvard. I've never had the desire to lead a country in the current forms that countries are operated. I'm fairly sure if I actually had to be the Prime Minister of Britain or the President of America, or even the leader of a revolutionary uh, Pan-African nation, I'd still have to make some pretty shit decisions. I was going to say, I mean, obviously we're saying that as as uh, it takes a, a certain kind of person to be able to, to do that. I think that can be a positive and a negative there. Because yeah, sure. I have people a lot say, again, it's when I was doing a lot more political stuff, saying, why aren't you running for office? I don't think so. It's because like, those are jobs that... That's the last thing I would would yeah, I want it's, to do because it's, it's, it's such an position. ugly thing. It's something that yeah. doesn't appeal to me in any way, yeah. shape, or form. So. Certainly not in its current format. Yeah, but I think for 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 Obama, I think he, he, I mean it, he was never going to come in, as you said, and be able to change America from a historically racist, classist, I mean, imperialist even more power. So as the first black exactly. president Into, to make in, huge changes, then but it's so tough. But I don't know, and only he can answer this because only he's in his own soul, in his own head. I'm very doubtful, to be honest with you, despite all the rhetoric, that that was his genuine aim. I feel that he's, yeah. he's what we describe as centre-right. Yeah. He's not Donald Trump. Yeah. He's not Ben Carson. He's not even George Bush. He's not as crazy as those people. Fine. But he believes inherently in the justice of America. He believes in American exceptionalism. He believes to some degree, whether he realises or not, then as an extension of that in the superiority of white people. What do I mean by that? America was founded on that assumption. If we believe America is so exceptional and so wonderful, there is that idea underpinning that a little bit. He believes in America's right to police the world. Um, And so he's not 
in line with what I believe about the way the world should run and the way things should be. Does that mean he's an inherently evil, insane, you know, psychopath? No. And uh, does that mean everything he's going to do is bad? No. He's tried to do the Obamacare thing, as you said, with gay marriage, as you said, around the fringes of things. There's been some room for manoeuvre that he's tried to leave some degree of a positive legacy. Um, And people will judge him on that. But for me, and the way I would want to see that country move and the way I'd want to see the world move, even when there was all the euphoria. Anyone who knew me in 2008 will tell you. I was in Atlanta in 2008, and I was arguing with my cousins week in, week out. My American cousins were saying, no, you don't understand. It's been a groundswell from the people. He's going to do this. He's gonna... I was like, dude, just say that the guy's half black, and that's why you're excited. And yeah. I'm fine with that. I get yeah. that. Like, I get it. You had segregation in your dad's lifetime. But to believe that him being half black means he's going to magically transform the entire society is really politically naive. But for me, what was unforgivable with Obama, just for me personally, not for anyone else, is to continue the wars that he's continued and then to be a president that oversaw NATO's bombing of Libya. For, for, For me, there's something really symbolically weird about the first African president deciding to bomb an African country and support people. I mean, we saw how they behaved. They sodomized the head of state with a knife yeah. in public. They didn't put him on trial and provide evidence and say, this is why we dislike the guy and this is why he's going to jail or even this is why we're going to kill him. They behaved in a very vicious, disgraceful manner. They then stole the weapons that they stole is part of what's causing the, the spread of terrorism across West Africa right now. They stole weapons from Gaddafi's cachet. So the consequences of the invasion of Libya, apart from destroying that country and creating the migrant crisis, have let terrorism spread all across Western Africa, wreaked all kind of havoc. And for me, whatever he does in America, however nice his legacy may or may not be for American people, that on, on the global, foreign policy yeah. fuck-up, <clears throat> if it was even that, for me is, is personally unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, I get and that. him being quite sense. handsome and having a lovely wife and a great <clears throat> family and being, you know, half Kenyan doesn't make that forgivable for me. It's, um, and I if mean, he was a white guy, I'd, ironically, I will say this, if he was a white guy, I think we'd see that symbolically much worse. If George Bush or Bill Clinton... Had done that stuff. Well, Bill Clinton did bomb Sudan. Yeah. Though still a lot of people loved him because he was charismatic and he played saxophone. Yeah. But I think it would be easier for black people particularly to be like, hold on a minute, that's an African country, all right, albeit an, an Arab-speaking African country, so people may not feel as connected to it as they do to Ghana, but there's something for me very symbolic about about that happening that, that doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, no, I, com- I completely understand that. And it's, <clears throat> it's really interesting how, again, you point out there that charisma and certain associations I like mean, for that... for a politician, he's a very good-looking dude. Can, can, and that does change. help, whether you like it or I not. I couldn't you know? agree more. The... the, the the fact that he's of African descent, the yep. fact I genuinely think, and again, I was I was someone who was sitting again. That's that's pretty cool. When yeah, he course. came out and said that he liked his his favourite ever TV character was Omar f- 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 from The Wire, I was like, you just think that's a cool dude? Dude's fucking cool. He's he's he seems right. green. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I so, get yeah, it. Charisma, charisma plays a huge role in our in our attraction to people, and there's no doubting he's a very brilliant <clears throat> man. No one's yeah. doubting he's a, an educated, charismatic. As I said, you know, for a politician, good looking, smooth, great speaker. All, and I don't mean that in the way that when people say patronizingly, he's a black guy and he speaks well. I mean, full stop on any level for any group of people. Man, yeah, he, he is can, a. They can perform. Right, he's a performer. Yeah. He's mesmerizing. No one's denying all those things. For me, I would love to have seen someone of that range of talents put that range of services 
to their community for justice, the way that Martin Luther King did, the way that Malcolm X did. That isn't possible for Obama, and that's fine. Um, but for me, he won't go on the wall with those people because I think as president of America, that is just impossible. Yeah. And I think as president of most countries, I think even if we look at Mandela, for all the fantastic sacrifice that Mandela made in the struggle against apartheid, his tenure as president of South Africa, he had to make some pretty horrific decisions he had to make the decision to maintain basically an apartheid economy but political apartheid decolonization because at that point he thought that was the best he could hope for maybe and the legacy of that has been what an anc government shooting dead 34 32 miners at Makinara in 2012 you know striking miners you know they could never get away with shooting 32 white people without international outcry yeah. so you have this legacy where the same brutality is woven into the system that's not i'm not laying that at mandela's doorstep what i'm saying is even the greatest humanitarian i met mandela actually yeah. i haven't spoke about this before oh, wow. in an interview i don't know why i went to his house in 2001 so my sister performed at one of his four triple six four concerts oh, back wow. then and i went we went to his house there's a big banquet i mean yeah. he offered my sister one of his wives um, one of his <laughs> wives why did i say one of his wives he offered my sister one of his grandsons to marry Amazing. as a joke yeah. but you know even just meeting the guy to meet someone who's done that amount of time in jail that still has so much love and empathy for other human beings and he's very charismatic really tall guy a lot of people don't realise that he used to be a boxer oh, really? massive guy I mean he's like must be 6'4, six, 6'5 six, um, and just had so much exuded so much charisma confidence brilliance love all of that despite everything he'd been through very inspiring guy even for someone like him being a runner of a country and this is what I, I get like, less idealistic as I get older running a country is incredibly difficult I'll give yeah. another, one, one more example if we take Toussaint Louverture Toussaint Louverture was the leader of the Haitian revolution the only successful slave revolution in the history of humanity and even he when he had won the island from the French maintained basically a semi-slave economy just this time the enslaved people got wages Yeah, because yeah. he felt that pragmatically it wasn't possible at that point to just say well all these people have done all this awful stuff slave masters talking about let's just kick them off the island he felt pragmatically to run a country he still needed those people they had yeah. the qualifications they could run the plantations etc so he said cool you've just got to pay the people now and obviously the enslaved people were like what do you mean we're not working for these same people who've been torturing us for hundreds of years and he had to try and balance all those forces even as someone who'd been an enslaved person himself yeah. because politics is fucking complicated I mean or, or, I mean politics and I think the way we are a lot as as as, as humans mm, I think there's sure. often we're looking when we talk of equality we're looking up rather than around or down. Yeah, so, sure. so, so we're looking if you up we, there need to deliver these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, if we're speaking of a, a, a quality in the UK, for example. So many people would want that and support that. If it was then explained that that equality meant you can't have that widescreen TV and your nice car. Yeah. If if the equality is a step down, that suddenly we're like, oh shit! It's when we're looking at those Absolutely. above us who are all, all wealthy. Absolutely. It's similar with as 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 asked to have um or I was, I was talking about about having amazon as a sponsor on the podcast at one point mm. and we didn't g g go for it in the end but someone said to me oh you couldn't do that because of their their tax as, as situations and i'm not against companies who dodge tax i'm against the loopholes that allow them to do though and the political uh, allow them to do so mm -hmm. and the political setups that allow them to do so because because the fact is when i was working in factories if i could get some some cash and hand work and avoid tax, I would. This yeah, is, I think just because they're doing it on a bigger it's, scale. It's a natural thing, so it's always that thing of, of looking up. If, if, if we're looking up and saying, we need to stop these companies dodging yeah. tax on this huge scale, it's like, well, 
that's okay as long as you are willing to never do that as well. I think it's it's a natural thing to want to cut corners or or, or whatever well, else. But also, it's whether you believe. There. But it's also whether you believe in who you're paying tax to. Yeah. If yeah, I lived in a country where I genuinely believed in the principles of my government, yeah. I'd queue up to pay my tax. Yeah, yeah. Like if really, if I if I lived in a country that was a progressive, socialist leaning, pan African government committed to you know the unity of humanity, but obviously the defeating of racism and sexism and classism. Yeah. I lived in Thomas Sankara's Burkina Faso. Yeah. As hard as that would have been for me, you know, I'd, I'd, I mean, this is a guy, for those who don't know about Thomas Sankara, this is a guy who so refused to be corrupted that he traded in all of the government vehicles for shitty little Renault Clios. Amazing. I mean, can you imagine in the, in the elite yeah. of a post-colonial African society going to parliament in, I mean, miniature Renault Clios. Yeah, yeah, that's he, amazing. He was one of the first openly feminist uh, leaders of any country in the world as a man. Yeah. Um, tried to re he instituted a thing called Women's Day where men had to do all the housework, cooking, the cleaning, yeah. do all the traditionally kind of female jobs, had women in the army, you know, done so much to balance up the country. He was obviously killed because a leader of that, uh, he was killed by a, a French puppet called Blaise Compare who stayed in power until right. last year. It was only taken out oh, of power wow. last year. Um, and so I think if you're in a country that you believe in, and I don't even say that just for progressive people. Yeah. If I was an Etonian educated Oxbridge graduate, to be honest with you, if you believed I'd, in it, I'd probably think Britain was the most infallible, most fantastic. And, yeah. and and to be honest, I can't even be judgmental of people in that. If that's what you're born into, for you, this Why is absolutely fantastic. That, even for yeah. me, right, as a person of Jamaican origin, I wasn't even born in Jamaica. Yeah. Despite the horrific violence, despite the homophobia, despite the shortcomings, there are elements of Jamaican culture I'm extremely proud of. Yeah. And it's the same even with the UK. It's just the arrogance that gets on my nerves. No one's saying Britain doesn't have anything to be proud of. If we talk about Shakespeare or Isaac Newton or elements of the Industrial Revolution or the progressive traditions I spoke about earlier, this history of poetry. There are so many things, even if I think about when we say small victories, it's not even a small victory. When we think about how accessible much of this city is now, and there's still a lot of work to be done, so I don't want anyone think to, 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 to say, think that I'm saying it's all done. But the fact that this country is now so much more accessible to disabled people. Yeah. That it's abnormal to get on a bus or go in a public place where there's not a disabled toilet, where there's not a platform. Something yeah, I, as an able-bodied person, wouldn't even have thought about. Yeah. So there are many ways in which a country is not one thing. Just because there are structural ideas of classism and racism doesn't mean there can't be elements that transcend them. And to me, I think you can be proud of your country and also critical. And this is one of the things I think Completely. a lot of, a lot of particularly right people on the right are, are, are not very good at. They think that, you know, people often say to me, and this obviously is just silly people being racist, but they're like, if you fucking hate it so much, why don't you go home, wherever home's supposed to be? I mean, I was born here. Yeah, yeah. What they really mean is, I don't believe in democracy for you. Yeah. So you're not allowed to be critical of the government. You know, other people are, but you're not. You should just be grateful to be here. And I find that ironic because Peter Tosh and Bob Marley spent most of their life criticising the Jamaican government and criticising the shortcomings of Jamaican politics. Did that mean, by extension, that they hated Jamaica? Exactly. Of course not. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the key to, again, <laughs> it, mm. it, it, it keeps going in circles, but it goes back to that of it being okay to question your own... your own Still be proud and of your yourself. country. And, and yourself. yourself. But yeah, um, well, I mean... Uh, I've 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 lost where I was I was going to sorry drift back to but yeah I Maybe, mean I don't know music that is art yeah we should life. get to music yeah we've done we've point. done I think I feel, I feel like we've put the world to rights we've we've almost what are you listening to at the moment anything, um, anything I'm that's one thing thing I wanted to get I've, 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 right. I've pulled it back now go ahead that's just right. just when you were speaking of of you'd have more passion. To, to pay tax to in, into a system that you believed. Or yeah, to not that money. I don't pay my taxes. Yeah, obviously, I, obviously, obviously, do. I don't need to, to get that clear on there. Yeah, but, um, yeah of course. <laughs> it, it made me think of I'd, yeah. I'd Killer Mike on the podcast, yeah. and he sp- 
was saying some stuff that I'd never even considered because we talked about the responsibility of rappers and people that are, are coming from a certain atmosphere or scene or society and marketing themselves off that to then put back into that site or help. You're marketing and yourself off the ghetto. You owe the ghetto. The great thing that Killer Mark was saying is like, I ain't talking about a charity. He's like, I've opened a chain of barbershops now. I've mm-hmm. got three barbershops. I'm still being an entrepreneur. I'm still making money, mm-hmm. but I'm employing locally. Exactly. I'm building things that are in my community. Exactly. And when I get my merch done, I get it made locally. You know, so mm-hmm. it's, it's that th- that thing of, it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be this responsibility to be a nice guy. It's like, still go out and be a baller. But, but do it in a way yeah. that benefits your specific and area and society, fair. right? Well, this is the thing. I was, I was having this argument with someone the other day. We, we tend to, and I don't want anyone to take this as me saying capitalism is the final and best system of human governance, because of course that's not what I think. But I was saying we sometimes scapegoat capitalism in a way that is naive. What do I mean by that? We, ex- we use capitalism to excuse human greed and human wankerishness. Yeah. There is no reason why a company that makes 14 billion profit a year can't say, you know, we're just going to make 12 and we're going to pay our workers well and we're not going to have any worker suicide. Yeah. There's no reason for that. That isn't capitalism. That's psychopathy. Right? Yeah. And, and, and that's my thing. More. Even, I've, I've got n- yeah. no issue with someone having slightly nicer stuff than me because they work harder than me. And yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. that's fine. If I choose to not do I mean, yeah. that le- level, yeah. it's, not, it's not that structure as, as such that is the problem. It's then, again, the corruption yeah. of it, the overgreed, the over. It's a particular. I mean, system. even if we look at, say, Scandinavia and Japan versus Britain and America and to an increasing degree parts of Europe. We're talking about even within capitalism, there's neoliberal capitalism, Mm -hmm. there's imperialist capitalism, Mm -hmm. and then there's what you have in Scandinavia, which is kind of socialist leaning, relatively socially engineering, relative equality, and the same in Japan. And no no coincidence, those countries have the lowest crime rates, high spread of wealth. They also have pretty high suicide, but hey, people say that's because of the weather. I suppose the point I'm making is, whatever the system is, you don't have to be a total wanker even yeah. if you're successful you can pay your workers fairly you can still make a profit like people choose not to do those things because they're insanely greedy yeah. not because cause not every company it's, it's operates easy to find way. examples of why these things are bad yeah. whereas ignoring again Hitler came to power under a democracy of course do you know what I mean it's, it's like, exactly. so, so, so saying that democracy is the way and every other version Everything of he did was democracy is, is wrong yeah, it's like he was elected. no yeah. there's there's times where communism is bad there's there's elements of communism that is fucking amazing absolutely. you know there's really but but because uh, they're they're the Russian evil at that point it's of like course. communism's evil and yeah. it's, it's like no there's many different systems that could work and that's what annoys me and was annoying me during the election was no everyone was discussing from the few options yeah. rather than what? what if we think outside of democracy and again I'm not saying that's an easy thing but there's even just different kinds of, of democracy if you look at like Athenian democracy and all sorts yeah. of other things or India there's, which there's has some... like 7 million parties yeah exactly I mean yeah. even Aust- even Australia when yeah. it suddenly had their kind of it was split and they had to divide everything up and have a a, a, a shared government essentially yeah that that causes some problems but again These are options that are available and should be a viable thing. I I think this arrogant kind of attitude that we have the answer because we're quote-unquote Great Britain and we know everything, we're going to really get bitten in the arse in the 21st century. We live in a world where China is returning to its position. Everyone talks about the rise of China. For 17 of the last 20 centuries, China was the richest, most technologically developed country in the world. All that's happening is business as usual. It's not the rise of China. It's the return of an ancient superpower that has been a nation for two and a half thousand years. Completely. Get used to it, go and learn some Mandarin. So this idea that we're so special 
is a very dangerous idea. And in many ways, actually, the, the irony of it and the com comedy of it is for the same elite that think they can keep perpetuating this idea. I want to see how they're going to do that and manage it with the fact that the money is increasingly going to be in Asia. The fact where they're we're increasingly going to have to learn to do business with people who look different yeah. from them as equals. But we're going to realise the size of our island yeah. are, are very soon. And, and, and the fact is that because of the way we stretched out, because of some technology advances or, or industrial advances mm -hmm. and things yep. like that, we were allowed to be, or we were able to be far bigger than than, than we necessarily are. Yep. And But the fact is, we're getting to a point now where the world is starting to come down to how much space you've got and how many people you've got as well. Yep. That's, that, that's starting, that's going to start to influence the... The powers, um, yeah, but already the world there, we gonna, live in. We're going to have to learn that. Yeah, the world we live in is unrecognizable from the world I was born in. Yeah, I was born in a world where a few countries on the earth still practiced form of apartheid. None, yeah. well, arguably one does, but generally, or two, you could say no. Many actually practice apartheid against women, but that's another discussion. Yeah, sure. Um, but obviously, you have the Israel-Palestine conflict. You have what's going on in South Africa, which is formal. But what I'm saying is, which is informal. What I'm saying is, even to when I was born, my younger brother is now doing Mandarin, GCSE. That's crazy, isn't it? Right? That was unimaginable in 1983. And so I think that, for me, the way the world's going to change over the next you know, 30 or 40 years, the countries that are going to do best, the space, human spaces that are going to do best, are going to be those that are that most open-minded and most prepared to adapt to change. And what I see in many ways, I don't know if it's something to even be depressed about, what I see is a kind of ossified old boy Oxbridge attitude that for now, as long as Britain still has power and as long as Britain's still one of the most wealthy, most militarily capable countries in the world and as long as we're still America's, I don't know if, I'll, if partner's even the right word, that arrogance can continue. But actually, there's a more innovative way of approaching the world. And there's a more innovative way of approaching debate, even if I was watching Question Time last night. And every time I watch, they've asked me to be on a few times, it's never been the right subject, right? But every I've, time had I watch, same. I've had the yeah. same. I've, I've talked my way out of Question yeah. Time numerous times. But it's like, no, this isn't. It's like the, the, the parameters of debate, as you were saying earlier, have already been set. And it's yeah. like someone needs to go on there and just come out of the parameters completely and say, hold on a minute. All of the basic assumptions that left, right and centre are all agreed upon on this might not even be correct. Yeah. Right, all of these yeah. things. About 50 times last night, people mentioned Russia and the nuclear threat. And, and no one said, but hold on a minute, which is the only country on earth to use nuclear weapons on human beings? Is it Russia or is it our ally? Yeah. Now, does that mean that, you know, this uh, kind of history of geopolitics in Britain and Europe and the way in which Russia and Germany and France and Britain have contested power on this uh, small peninsula of a continent over the past, you know, five, six hundred years isn't something to bear in mind in the legacy of that. No. But the fact is only one country on earth has ever used nuclear weapons on people, and that's America. Yeah. And so if any country on earth should not be allowed nuclear bombs, it should be the country that currently has the most. And again, it's, 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 it's the backwards argument of, of they say, oh, the nuclear deterrent... Um, but the fact is, they say we'd only use nuclear bombs if something was used against us or we were under threat. It's like, well... You wouldn't be able some, to. It, number one, you wouldn't be able to. But number two, it would have it would prove that the nuclear deterrent hasn't worked. So your theory of it, of we need to keep them for a nuclear deterrent, means that the, the only time we'd use them is when the deterrent hasn't worked anyway. So it's a backwards... People might be ridiculous. surprised by me saying this. But ironically... Now that the world has got to the stage where nuclear weapons exist, mm -hmm. I wonder if the only way we're actually going to get peace, ironically, is when 
loads of different... I mean, people spoke yesterday about nuclear deterrent. I mean, Pakistan gets droned pretty often, right? And yeah. they, don't, they have nuclear bombs. But the... Because someone mentioned on it yesterday, oh, Ukraine got rid of their nuclear bombs and look what happened. Well, I was like, Pakistan has nuclear bombs. They still get droned. But are we going to approach a stage in world affairs where there'll be six or seven huge power blocks, all economically capable, all with huge militaries, all with nuclear weapons... And ironically, even though the intention was never for peace for all of that, that there'll be so much rivalry and the blocks will be so huge and there'll be so much mutually assured destruction that that will be the closest we'll get to some form of peace. As as kind of morbid as that sounds, mm. that seems more likely from where we're stood than actual genuine revolutionary, you know, love and peace yeah, in the world. Yeah. If Latin America and Africa, for example, you know, and particularly for Africa and, and parts of Asia were more economically developed, were militarily stronger, had nuclear weapons to defend themselves. Things like Libya might not have happened. I don't know. But there would be a different attitude towards those nations. And would that... Adam Smith, ironically, who I don't agree with on a lot of things, as you can imagine, this was one of the things he talked about. Right. Saying that a, a point, he believed a point in history was going to come where even the savage nations, I believe was the word he used, will develop to such a stage that a natural equilibrium will be found. And in some ways, that's what we're seeing between America and China. Yeah. We're seeing two nations that are so interdependent, that are so colossal, that have so much influence over the globe, neither of whom can afford war with one another, I would hope. Though, obviously, America's talking about its visit to Asia, Japan's rearming, there's all this kind of danger going on that suggests a conflict might come. Hopefully it will not. And will it be that the relative peace that humanity gets might just come out of actually the very same power-hungry lunatics around the world yeah. just all get into such a point where they don't, where no one group has the power to dominate the other? And of course, no one can outmuscle anyone. But yeah, it's, it's, I don't it's, know. It's a tough one. It's a I don't know. It's a tough one yeah. when Britain and America exist, and our, our, our great histories are based on an illusion of superiority. Of course. So I'd be shocked if there was a point where. Together, we didn't. We ever thought that we were. Everyone was on a level. But if, you know if what, I mean? what, I'm, what, I'm, what I mean is, if kind of the Anglo-American empire's continuation means the destruction of all of humanity, what is then the scenario? Are there people that are that crazy they'd rather destroy the whole earth than exist in a multipolar world? Maybe. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, even yeah, saying yeah, that's yeah. impossible. Yeah. It is possible. We have the technology to destroy everything ever created on this planet. Maybe that's what we'll do. It's, cr- it's crazy that that's something that humans created, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. That humans have sat down yeah. at some point and m- given ourselves the ability to destroy every l- living thing yeah, on the planet. That's the way we've used some of the best minds. That's ever, something ever that we've done. That's yeah. something that we've sat down and decided, yeah. here's, 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 here's a good idea. So I, I don't know what the future holds. I hope that to some degree or other, there is a multipolar world. I hope that Africa and Asia and Latin America. Uh, develop to a point where they can no longer be bullied and have their resources taken cheaply and where uh, they can be protected. But then that won't solve all the exploitation in the world. There'll still be classism. There'll still be sexism. There'll still be forms of injustice and expropriation. We might just have got rid of the biggest global forms of imperialism, but that doesn't mean we're going to click our fingers and everything's going to be wonderful because I haven't spotted any point in the last 5,000 years of history that I've been studying for quite a while where there was a class-free, perfect non-hierarchical, technologically developed, materially rich society. Yeah. I'm yet to find that. Will, will it ever exist? I don't have the answer. I, I'd like to hope and dream, and maybe it will always maintain, be a hope, a, a fleeting illusion that we chase. But yeah. at least in the chasing of that, we might manage society a little it's, better. It's the chasing of that, and, I, and not that I'd su- su- subject 
teddy idea of, of fantasism, but it feels that a lot of the solutions to big problems in the past have turned out to be things that we had no concept of mm. 10 years before. The speed at which we are evolving Learn, yeah, for sure. t- 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 technologically, mm. there could be s- solutions that aren't even f- fathomable at this stage. But yeah, yeah. That's, there's a good chance not. I mean, we're almost at, yeah. at, at, at 90 minutes and mm-hmm. we've not touched up on mu- music. So I'm going to happily go over and get into some... Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about your kind of, your musical up, up, upbringing. You're getting into music. You touched upon um, travelling out and meeting... And, and Nelson Mandela with your a sister, for anyone who doesn't know, your sister is is Miss yeah, Dynamite, yeah, who smashed it for, or has 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 been smashing it for yeah. many many years. Yeah. Was there? Were you both always into music and coming up in creating together, or was there a certain amount of um, inspiration from your sister? Well, what happened stuff? was, so when we were really young, we, uh, and I mean really young, like eight, nine, yeah. ten, that sort of age. She's older than me, two years older than me. We, my stepdad ran a, the Hackney Empire Theatre. He was a stage manager there. Oh, wow. My real dad was a sound system DJ. And so every year, we, like, I mean, people know this probably from my music. We, you know, we didn't have a whole load of money growing up. So we used to put on shows for my mum every year on her birthday. Yeah. Her birthday's in June. And so through doing that, we would put on like acting, rapping, dancing, singing shows. Believe it or not, I used to try and sing. I'm a bloody awful singer. <laughs> I used to try and dance. I'm a bloody awful dancer now. I used to be an amazing dancer when I was a kid. I don't know Brilliant. what happened. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of came into performing arts, even though we were f- physically and economically quite poor, culturally we were quite rich. We yeah. spent five days a week in the Hackney Empire. This was at a time when there was fantastic programming on there. Um, it, was, it was easily Britain's best kind of African-Caribbean-led theatre in that period. I saw Angela Davis there. I saw Karis One lecture there when I was a kid. I saw, all these, I saw Sarafina, a fantastic player about yeah. apartheid, come there. Um, you know, so I was really exposed to a lot. And so growing up, uh, Naya, as she is to me, my, my older sister, didn't... She was pursuing singing, but I don't know if that's what she wanted to do full-time quite yet. Then she started emceeing on uh, Raw FM, Underground Garage... Uh, station yeah, i was always yeah. rapping yeah and i was playing for west ham at the time i played football uh for four years oh wow and um i played football for longer than four years but i was at west yeah, uh, yeah. at west ham for four years and then boo came out and it just it just it just changed even when i first heard it i yeah. remember hearing the first unmixed version on a dub plate in camden palace and even as an unmixed weird sounding the mix was all wrong the test press was all wrong you still just knew that yeah, something yeah, weird yeah, yeah. had been had been created and then obviously i was with her going around the country as like, you know, semi-bodyguard status with our managers who were kind of, not managers, they were kind of man them from the ends who had taken yeah. up as manager. And, yeah, and, you know, yeah, they did yeah. what they could do. Um, and we just went the around. manager the- roles are gr- a, a great nondescript one <laughs> yeah, to bring it's in. Just, it's yeah, like, what do you, I'm just, I'm, mani- I'm, yeah. I'm managing, all right? Yeah. Just don't, don't, don't question. So we just went around the country, you know, I went around the country with her watching Boo explode. Obviously, I was there when, you know, she won Mercury and the Brits and Mobo and all that. And it was inspiring, but it was also a lesson for me. You know, I was 17 when I went to the MTV Awards we were in Barcelona. And I went to Puff Daddy's after party. And very early, I realised this world isn't for me. Right. You know, I saw all these kind of celebrities on all kinds of drugs. You know, I won't name no names, but, you know, I saw all kinds of madness. And I was just like, well, I realised very early, even at 17, I wasn't impressed 
by the glitz and the glamour, which was a strange thing to learn of, you, of yourself. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'd been around. It's funny because even I grew up poor, I'd been around a bit of money. And a few of my friends were footballers. A few of my friends were not footballers, but had money. You know, yeah. they were into the wrong stuff. So at 15 and 16, I'd been in Range Rovers and BMW convertibles and Mercs this and Mercs that. I'd been in the club around champagne and blah, 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 and showing off. I had a 500 pound Averix coat, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying I was a baller because I wasn't that yeah, either, yeah, but yeah, I'd yeah, been yeah. around people that had lots even if they were still kind of didn't have lots and they lived at home with their mum. Yeah. Um, and then obviously what happened, my sister happened, but it made me realise I wanted to do things differently and I wanted to try and build a business that was based on, and a, a music career that was not based on doing as I was told by a record label. And in many ways, my sister inspired that because at 19 years old, when she finished her first album and the label told her Miss Dynamite had to be the first single, she just told them, no fucking way. I want it, it takes more to be the first single. Yeah. I want to come out with a song that's about something. It means yeah, yeah, the yeah. label didn't want to do it. She's like, I don't give a fuck. I'm not filming any other video. So it's up yeah. to you what it's you dope. want to do. And she had this kind of ballsy, not give a fuck attitude at 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, so Solid asked her to join So Solid when she was much younger and they were in a much more commanding position than yeah. she was. This was just around the time Boo was about to come out. And she was like, no, you're all right. Like, safe, mega. We're cool in that. Yeah. But I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be under your wing. As, yeah, as, yeah, yeah, and yeah. at the time, So Solid were the biggest thing in the country. Yeah, yeah. So in many ways, Nia had a kind of um, do-it-yourself mentality, even though she was on a major label. And that inspired me. And I was lucky enough that, you know, some investors came in. Um, you know, not it's not like they invested 10 million quid in me, you know, but yeah. they, they put up some money so I could film some videos and we started this company. And 10 years later, here we are. You know, first album came out in 2006. It'll be 10 years next year. And it's weird because I've gone the proper long way about it, but we're now in a position where I can tour around the world, where I can sell, you know, 10, 15,000 live tickets a year in the UK without much, without yeah. really releasing a single. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I toured in March, I'm going to tour again in um in November. And it's weird because the urban scene is such a strange thing that you have hype and you have success. And sometimes people have both. You know, some people but have some, hype and success. Sometimes, sometimes people they don't definitely have one don't. I mean, some, it's one of the things I saw because... Uh, when I was coming up again we'd done it all so independently weren't particularly part mm. of any scene yeah. and it would surprise me to see people that I perceived as being up here like the hype I'd heard about mm -hmm. and then seeing them struggling to sell out a two th a, th a, th a 300 people don't realise how hard it is to get people and to come and pay to see you exactly right? that it's and a then challenge the way b b b because we'd done it quite independently but we'd we'd grinded it out we'd built this live yeah. following that meant exactly. we could sell out Two, three thousand yeah. caps, and it's yeah. like shit. There's people who perception because they're on a bigger label. Yeah. Perception would say these guys are huge, yeah. and it's like, well, actually, you know, it's it's it's, it's real it's times versus yeah. real. Yeah. You know, a, str a strong fan there. base, and it, 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 especially for a, you know within UK hip hop. I remember when I was in school. The idea that you could have a career as a UK rapper just seemed bloody ridiculous. No. Because everyone just... It was a competition with other people you knew yeah, rather exactly. than to everyone be just on this aspiring America, right? thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in many ways, I'm kind of like, fucking hell, like... Even though I always expected to quote-unquote succeed, in many ways, I'm, I'm... People always ask me, even supporters of mine, oh, but you should be so much more well-known, your music's this, blah, blah, blah. Don't you get pissed off? And I think people expect me to say yes, but no, I really couldn't give a shit. You know, yeah. I do what I love for a living every day. If yeah, I don't want to get out of my bed tomorrow, I don't have to. Yeah. And to me, that's enough. I don't need to be a multimillionaire. You know, I'm comfortable. I have a nice car. I live in a nice house. I have probably 3,000 books in my library. You know, I travel all over the world. I don't need to drive a Rolls Royce to feel yeah. good about myself. And I'm not knocking anyone that even does. I'm just saying that for me, I feel comfortable. And I also feel comfortable on the trajectory. It might take me another five, six years 
to get to a level where people generally think, oh, right, I see what you've been doing all these years. I think enough people kind of get it. And I think that also, you know, just it's... it's, I just feel very lucky and I feel very blessed because I've been able to maintain that independence for so long and still have a viable career. And really that all comes down to the supporters. And it comes down to people that are willing to kind of stay with you if they believe in what you do and they like what you do. But I also think it's about diversifying as an artist. What's great about this time that we live in is being able to do a bit of theatre, write a graphic novel, you know, do a lot of the education work I do, to have a broad range of things that you do so that you are constantly evolving as an artist and a yeah. performer and not be boxed in. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I definitely want to talk more on the theatre f- front, but I also want to just highlight and agree with what you were saying there about your sister choosing the single that she wanted to be the yeah. first single. I think there's... I've had this argument in the past and I ended up doing it on my solo record and then we ended up doing it on our, our last a record with me and Dan, and my argument was always right. If this is the song that the label think is going to blow everything up, then just just l- l- let me put the one that I think should be first because it shouldn't should make a difference. Do you know what I mean? If yeah, you think yeah, no one's exactly. going to care about this, then cool. Because yeah. the people that are already there, I want them to know to. that this is what I'm about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This other one might be the more the more poppy or the more yeah. commercially accessible, but I want my people at first to know yeah. this Secure is what, I'm what about. you already have. Yeah, because people will go away from you if you if you feed them shit they don't like. My argument or my example of that is always a, a Kendrick Lamar, and it's turned around a bit now. But when um, dr- dr- drank, I can't mm. think of, of, of what the actual name is. Or it is. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Swimples. That's right. Oh, 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 when that came out, if you listen to that, that is an that's. That's a conscious hip hop track. Mm. That's talking about about alcoholism and the, mm. tr- the the troubles of it. Now, uh, you know, I've never even listened to it like that. So exactly, people don't. People don't. But that's it. Yeah. I played it on the on on my radio show when I had a show on XFM, and a lot of people were like, oh, "Why are you playing this commercial hip hop or whatever?" I was like, "If this was my song, you'd you'd have paid more attention because you're expecting it to be more conscious. Yeah. You'd have listened to the lyrics a bit more and heard this. But because it's someone you f- see as just." commercial rap you're not paying attention to the the, the that's the, very possible because I've in, never in, even noticed that myself but it's so. in it or genuinely yeah it's it's great in that way but and that's what I mean if 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 your sister had come straight out with the more poppy one then people would have gone ah oh, fuck yeah, do you exactly. know what I mean she's gone pop yeah. whereas if she's come out first going nah it's cool here's my you, thing yeah. it's alright to hear what's coming next because this is poppier but you know it's yeah. you'll, you'll listen to it that bit more and get the the intricacies of it Absolutely. you know what I mean um, but let's let, and let's talk about a, th- a theatre because that's as huge a part as anything in your c- a career, I'd say, really now. Yeah, I from, mean, from going down the spoken word route to mm-hmm. going down, putting on plays and, and putting mm-hmm. on putting together pr- production companies and, and and the whole thing. So we 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 are at the moment. Um, we did our last tour. It's so the Hip Hop Shakespeare Company is a music theatre and education uh, company that I launched in two thousand and nine officially. Yeah. Um, and obviously it was really interesting because say Ian McKellen came to our launch workshop and that created Amazing. a bit of kind of fury. He was really cool, to be honest with you. He really worked well with the with the kind of local young people. Um, was really not, even though he had his preconceptions of hip-hop, he said he was trying to bring Patrick Stewart to the workshop too, but Patrick Stewart just hates hip-hop. Because <laughs> he, hates, he hates what he thinks is hip-hop, right? He's yeah, probably yeah, never yeah, listened yeah, to a yeah. Saul Williams or a Gil Scott Heron yeah. or the any f- of... Any of the stuff that you might just you know, as a yeah. footnote, the first time I saw you was supporting Saul Williams at the Scala. Oh, there you go, like early mid two yeah. thousands of yeah, and that something. must have been two thousand six, yeah, or two thousand six. Yeah, 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 it was just right exactly. yeah. It was, yeah, that was wow. There you go. Yeah, so I did, I did do that support for Saul, um, and 
yeah, so Ian was really cool. And so, so the aim of Hip Hop Shakespeare, our last tour was Richard II. We'll probably be touring that again in the spring. And what we actually did was we took Richard II. I took that play because it's, quite frankly, a bit of a fucking boring play. Yeah. But there's like five bits of incredible writing in it. There's a scene with John O'Gaunt. There's two or three great speeches. Um, and so we took the bits that we loved and then we rewrote the rest as concept. Yeah. As songs, basically. So we created this concept album, like a gig, literally like a, a live band gig yeah. of a Shakespeare album with theatrical acted elements in between it. And we deliberately toured it in music venues. We went yeah. to all the academy venues, the smaller ones. And that's the way we started to build a live following for that. And now we're going to put that on again next year. Again, the great thing there is taking it mm. to music venues because it's easy to get... F- Funding and support again from the middle classes and upper classes mm-hmm. when you're you're putting anything that's they see as urban mm-hmm. in 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 theatres in mm-hmm. these art spaces or whatever. But the key there is taking it where the people that you, you're trying to reach are going to hear it, where mm-hmm. people from areas that you grew up in are mm-hmm. going to come out and hear it and give mm-hmm. it a look and pay attention to it, mm-hmm. rather than just going, oh, isn't this? Isn't this nice that we're doing this this well, I think diversion? You, I think you can sort of do both. And that's what yeah. we've tried to do. We've tried to... I mean, I've done stuff at the South Bank Centre. Yeah. Where you know, I did... A, I, did I got this lecture format I do called Hip Hop History. And it's a way I use hip hop to tell the history of the African diaspora. And last time I did it at South Bank, two and a half thousand people came. Granted, Amazing. it was free. But it was like... Even I think for the South Bank, they were like, rah, like we've never... Had and look where it is. It's on the South Bank. It's two minutes from Elephant and Castle or Brixton. Yeah, or completely. And so you had such a range of people. And I think a lot of the time, we don't give our audience enough credit. We don't think audiences are intelligent enough and sophisticated enough and uh, real enough to like. We've done shows. This is more hip hop Shakespeare than me because my stuff's a lot more aggressive in its in its in what it's saying. Yeah. But we've done shows where there's been seventy five year old people there and four year olds there, and everyone's enjoyed themselves. And yeah, our our mission. Great. As much as it's about spreading education, re-educating people about hip-hop, re-educating people about Shakespeare and just poetry in general, it's also about looking at innovative and interesting ways in which the stage can be used in the 21st century, the way we can create something new and unique to London, the way we can add a new voice to hip-hop, the way we can change the dialogue around Shakespeare being seen as this dusty old guy that died 400 years ago that's got nothing relevant to say, when in his time, the vast majority of people that went to see him were illiterate where people right. who couldn't read or write and were people that were significantly poorer than anyone who lives in England today. And so really those are a lot of the things we're trying to do across film, across TV and and on the stage. And then I did my first one-man theatre show this year at a place called the Dissenters Chapel, just up in Kensal Green, called The Knowledge Seeker's Journey, which was a one-man sort of esoteric, long-form poem journey show thing, again, which I'm trying to adapt. And that's part of my development process to turn in my graphic novel, which I'll give you when we finish, um, a copy of The Ruins of Empires. I'm trying to turn that into a full-scale, big theatre production. And so that uh, is part of that development. Also, we've been working on an EP... We have a producer called uh, Prashant Mystery. And that is a, for want of a better word, an audio book, really. It's it's produced music, but it's me reading short stories over a collection of produced uh, beats, soundscapes, songs. Uh, We might release that late this year. We might release it early next year. Not decided yet. Is there plans to do that as as a live? Yeah, it's called A Conversation With Freedom. we'll. We'll probably do that as a separate live thing from a regular Akala tour. And then we have next year spring will be the 10th anniversary of my debut album yeah. so I'm going to put amazing uh, I've never put most of my music be, on vinyl how's that, 
I feel to be ten years in it's the mad. game. It's mad. Ten years in the game. It's mad. Ten years in the game and, and still here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do like a vinyl. I don't want to call it a greatest hits because obviously I haven't had any hits technically. You know, I've had uh, kind of cult hits with my yeah, yeah, with my yeah. group, but I've never been in the charts in that way. Yeah. So I'm gonna do a best of the last ten years on vinyl. So That's people wicked. watch out for that. And, yeah. and you know, those all kind of like I said, just feel blessed to be here. Still feel very blessed to be making music. You know, um, that's it, amazing. So, so where can people keep up to date on all of this? I mean, the the good thing about this podcast, I mean, we put it on iTunes and everywhere else, but we also do it with an app called Acast. Mm-hmm. And again, it's part of this whole my feeling of the of podcast and that being the future of technology mm-hmm. is we tag everything as we're going along. So mm-hmm. while you were talking about a, a, a hip-hop sh- a Shakespeare, if they'd wanted, they click and they're on the Hip-Hop Shakespeare website. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, all these different subjects and topics that we've discussed, if you want to... A, a link down you've yeah. got that as Brilliant. we were saying earlier the fact is there's so much information out there but a lot of people are too lazy uh, to look for it mm, that's one of the dope things about the podcast mm. revolution with things like Acast is that you can cut that laziness out you can say right we were talking about that, a, a, the arrow sp- spr- yeah. springs earlier even if it's just a Wikipedia page explaining yeah, what the fuck yeah. that term means or exactly, what that was yeah. then here we go so yeah that's kind of exciting but where can people uh, keep best up place is Twitter everything you you know Twitter? I post to my Facebook Stuff that I'm doing, life questions, different things go on my Facebook. But I'll be honest with you, people message me on Facebook and if you don't get a response, don't be upset. Just if I were to respond, I'm not going to get someone from the office to respond to a personal fan message. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah. that's a bit bad. They might, yeah. you know, send a generic email here or if there's something particular they pick out. But I can only keep up with one social network full time. Otherwise, yeah. it, that would be all I did. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Twitter, if someone responds to you on Twitter, that is me responding to you. I don't Perfect. let anyone else find Twitter. you on, t- on Twitter. So Twitter is at Akala Music. Yep. So is Facebook. So is Instagram. But Facebook and Insta, if you want to actually message me, I, I wouldn't do that on there so much. Yeah. I would do it on the Twitter. So, I do so, sometimes go and get at me on Twitter is best. But check out the Facebook and the Insta for where I'm touring or what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. But really, Twitter is the, the one social network that I kind of Perfect. Use well, I mean, we've gone... Oh, well over the normal we amount and I think yeah. we're going to have to do another one down the line at some point because it's been, been great fun but thank you very much no, for, for making the time anytime Big Cheers, man. pleasure you've been listening to Scrooge's Picks I mean, there you go. Are you, are you exhausted? That 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 was a hell of a lot to take in. I mean, I recommend maybe like a, a listen again a few times today to take all that in because that even being in the conversation, I was getting heady. You know, I needed a, to 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 get like once I got out of it and got in my car, I needed a big bottle of water and a bit of silence. So have a bottle of water and a bit of silence and then feel free to re to readdress it and re-jump in um yeah amazing such a good chat i say it often that it could be a that we should do another one i definitely think that's the case with akala and i'm sure when the time is right we will meet up and chat again check out his stuff um thank you for listening please subscribe that helps us if you subscribe on iTunes or 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 whatever you happen to use f- for listening then if you subscribe and have it set to auto download it gives us a load of downloads in one hit so when it goes up so suddenly we have this big r- a rush which makes us climb up the charts and makes us more um 
visible and therefore spreads the word a bit more. Now, podcasts are kicking off a bit, eh? I mean, the, our, our listenership is growing and growing, but there was a time when we'd be in the top 10 every week, often number one, um, but all of a sudden there's a lot of big companies and big big productions putting out podcasts. And again, I'm I'm down with that. I'm cool with that. But it makes me even more appreciative of your continued support um, of this independent a, a little thing, which is just long interviews with no gimmicks or, or or themes or anything like that. It's just, it is what it is. It's a discussion and they're, they're long as fuck. So it's, it's amazing that you can <clears throat> hold your attention for that long and, uh, and or hand over your attention to us for that long. So I appreciate that. We will be back next week. When this goes out, we will have just done the um, the first ever, the one-off live Distraction Pieces podcast uh, from the Leicester Square Theatre. So I'm hoping that went well, man. You know, I'm excited. I mean, you'll all be excited because you get to hear it soon and the advert will change that's saying, hey, come and buy tickets, come and support. So it'll be nice for you to get a new advert. I'll record that soon, probably. Um, and yeah, that'll be that. And then we start to to get into November and December. Tons of guests lined up as ever, but I'm I'm tired of kind of giving you sneakers or teasers and previews of who it's going to be because it's just so hard to arrange it with people and get our schedules in line. So there will be more guests. We will be here every Wednesday. Come next week. This has been the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 65. My name is Scroobius Pip. See you soon. (laughs)